Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Democracy First, our virtual town hall for diverse, civic-minded people who gather Monday through Friday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time to discuss current events, legislation, civics, politics, and the effect they have on our democracy. And two-century-old work in progress shaped by we the people. We gather here to continue the work making good trouble. We welcome new voices and treasure the old in our conversational roundtable centered on respect, where we strive for a safe, welcoming space that is informative and inspiring because it's fact-based and solution-oriented. We do honor a few rules of etiquette. We understand that we can disagree without being disrespectful. We can attack arguments or ideas without attacking people. We raise our hands to speak and mute our mic when we're not. This is for sound quality and also to allow others to do so without interruptions. A reminder, it is a daytime recorded space. So please keep this in mind with the personal information you share and the language that you use. Otherwise, don't be shy. Please come on up, start or help us uh, join in the conversation. And if this is your first time here to do that, Request a mic by using the microphone icon over to your far left. Once you're brought up to speaker, use that heart icon over to your right, and you will get a panel of emojis. That hand emoji to the far right is how you raise your hand. You will be called on, and we want to thank you all for being here and ask that you please share and retweet the space. And as I said to... Um, in the tweet, I um, told a few people that today we're going to be talking about voter suppression. And it want to kind of cover the, the historical aspects. And I've asked a few people that I know can add some depth um, to the information around it so that we can have a great understanding of the history because it does have a very long insidious history of, of what it is and how it works so that we can begin because it is still going on and we're gonna con connect it to the present forms of voter suppression and what we can do to overcome it, work around it and you know get rid of it. So awareness is the first step in that and I want to thank you all for being here joining us today. I want to, um, I'm trying to get my co-host up here. Oh, I think he's up here. So Twitter is being Twitter today. And I do have a few other uh, <laughs> speakers. Like I said, one of them, thank you, Dr. Marshall, who has graciously um, agreed to help um, kind of broaden this discussion. Uh, from a historical perspective of voter registration. I do want to give Eugene an opportunity to greet our community this morning, and then I am going to kind of get started on this topic. But as always, we are going to be open to other topics that concern uh, what's happening in our country that's affecting our democracy because that's why we're here. So Eugene, how are you? I see Twitter was being hard on you this morning. <laughs> oh, that was, uh, that was something else. 
<laughs> I've been through some hoops before, but wow. I know. I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> Took me several several different phones to figure that one out. I'll get them around them. Yeah, so, Dee, I really like that um, you're doing the, these subjects. Um, and what Dee and I talked about uh, this morning, and she agreed with me and I agree with her, um, it, it is that I'm going to continue throughout the rest of the week because uh, after she 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 told me this one and then several others, and these are like things that I think could take an entire week to delve into, and not that we have to stick to it or whatever, but I am going to leave that in the title as a topic of a discussion for that week because I think that these are, uh, you know, voter suppression. My gosh, man, you could you could. Um, have several historians come in here and and hit on several different um, avenues of this that would take a while to get into. And these are really important issues. I, I, I'm in agreement on how important they are because this is about our democracy and about our right to vote. Like this is the whole reason DNI started down this journey. I am going to say that I'm going to uh, help, uh, help co-host today, um, but after today, um, I'm going to use to like D is doing. I'm going to use Mondays as my day to do my my things that I should probably be getting done. Um, and not that I won't be here or whatever. I'll I'll swing in and out um, as I can. But you know that's the, my day for appointments now, right? You know, as I get older, I find that I need those. Um, and it'll just I I can you know I I it just frees me up. But um. It doesn't mean I, I, I'm not here for everybody and I won't be in and out and won't be around. Um, but, you know, Dee's taught me a lot of things. And one of those things that she's taught me is, you know, take care of yourself. You know, don't forget to take care of yourself. And, and you know, I, 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 I love those sage advice uh, voices around me. So I'm going to sit back today and, you know, I'm really interested to to hear what uh, others have to say about voter suppression. You know, I. I talked early on in our space about, you know, my fear in in Georgia being, you know, when a, when a parent has to choose between working that day to feed their child or uh, uh, standing in line for eight hours, you know, uh, to me, that's voter suppression. Right. And, and it got worse from there. And so I'm, I'm really interested in hearing from this because I do live in a state that like we just don't experience this. Like, you know, I, I get my ballot in the mail a couple of months before or not a couple of months, but, you know, almost a month before. And, you know, I can research all the candidates at my leisure while I eat my pecan pie. It's my kind of my traditional thing. And, uh, you know, I, and then, you know, I always wait till the last day because I like to drop it in the box and, you know, because it's vote day. And, you know, I try to be an example by doing that. Um, but, you know. I've got that whole time to do it. So, you know, for us here in the Northwest, I, Oregon's just like we are for us here in the Northwest. We, we watch this and we're like, we're appalled. We're, we're, we're it's inhumane. It's like, it, it's seems like it's something that should be sitting at the Geneva convention. Like, you know, rights are being denied. Uh, 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 anyways, to me, it's that way. I, I'm sure okay. it's, Maybe not for others, but it's right. to me it's a sacred right, right, Dee? 
It absolutely is. Um, it is uh, one of the most sacred things that um, we have as citizens of this country. And um, one of our civil rights heroes, uh, John Lewis, has you know made many statements um, to that effect. Um, I want to start, as I said, we're going to go uh, down a little uh, historical review. I'm not trying to, you know, bore you. I am not a teacher um, in, in that sense of the word, but I do think that the issues that we have to overcome to save and restore our democracy require education. And I'm learning as I teach, and that's what I hope that Democracy First will be, is just a constant place for um, informing and inspiring civic engagement. And part of that is understanding our history and how civics works and the, the effects that different aspects of uh, politics are having on that. So I'm going to begin, and um, thank you, Dr. Mary, for being up here and helping me through this. And I know that um, Khalil is going to come in and add some um, depth to the conversation, and well as well as Geechee. So I'm going to start with just a little bit of a chronological order of um, starting with the Civil War, you know, 1861 to. Um, 1865. And with that ending, it's when slavery was abolished. Lincoln was also killed and Andrew Johnson became president. And that's significant because the years reconstruction that um, 1865 to 1870, after Lincoln was killed, um, it was kind of reconstruction was up for grabs. We did get a few amendments during that period. The first one, of course, being the 13th, which abolished slavery. Then we got the 14th, which gave us equal protection and civil rights. And then we got the 15th, giving us voting rights, giving, Af when I say us, I mean African-Americans. But also during that period, it's significant in that Andrew Johnson, is from Tennessee, and he was a Dixiecrat. And he was not of the same mind as Lincoln. And so he was very supportive of states' rights, which for them meant allowing the Southern states to establish their own government without restraint. And they drafted a lot of laws that targeted the newly freed African-Americans. And starting in 1873, a series of Supreme Court decisions basically emboldened them, does it sound familiar, um, and limited the scope of the Reconstruction era laws and um, the federal support, you know, and the ability to protect them. And then we had the Compromise of 1876 um, with, you know, the Hayes Compromise which kind of led into 1877, um, Jim Crow. And that is when, again, states began creating more laws around those to, to work around the Reconstruction Amendments and suppress the vote and basically make the daily life of African-Americans uh, more difficult and dangerous. They, you know, had poll taxes, literacy tests, and, you know, just the whole thing of legal segregation. And then um, 
Fast forward another 30, 40 years, we fought and we got the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. And um, a little more local history for me is that occurred because of Tennessee's vote. And it occurred here in the Hermitage Hotel um, in Nashville. And um, so there's a lot of, I'm making gaps, but this is kind of, like I said, the chronological order because between 1920 um, and 1965, a lot of things happened like Bloody Sunday, uh, the Montgomery boycott, in other words, the fight for civil rights occurred in many different ways. And it culminated in us getting the 1965 Voting Rights Act passed. And shortly after that, 1966, a Supreme Court decision banished the poll tax. But also during that period, there's, there uh, um, appeared a very distinct shift. Like around 1968, whites started voting more Republican and minorities started voting more Democratic. Um, and so they started strategizing. And also 1970, they lowered the voting age to 18. And fast forward another 40 years almost, we get because, you know, people are, are having more um, ability to vote. And um, we get our first black president, boy oh boy. Then we get the white lash because they are starting to see the multiracial vote tide shift. And after that, the red map plan was introduced in 2010. And that's when Barack Obama took his shellacking as he called it. And the red map is a very um, distinct uh, strategic plan that the Republican State Leadership Committee of the United States um, put together to increase Republican control of congressional seats, as well as state legislatures, largely through um, you know, the determination of electoral district boundaries, in other words, gerrymandering. And they um, launched this plan with the goal of countering the tide of minorities that were voting. And they decided to focus on about 20 state legislative bodies uh, to take for the GOP to take control of. And the way that they decided to do that was to get national donors to invest in this strategic political project, basically a rich man's political movement. And um, the core of that uh, was the Koch brothers. And there were um, about 400 people organization involved and about $30 million that were spent. And they targeted 107 local state legislative races in 16 states. And some of those states were North Carolina, Texas, Illinois, Kentucky, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Florida. And some of those organizations that helped to do this were, of course, the Koch Brothers, Americans for Prosperity, then American Enterprise Institute, Cato Institute, the Heartland Institute, American Encore, Americans for Tax Reform, Donors Trust, the 
uh, Community Foundation for Liberty and more. And these are the same people who are investing so much dark money now that Senator Sheldon Whitehouse often speaks about. But they invested heavily in this 2010 Red Map plan, which found them, you know, they had success with it because they were able to gain 700 seats um, in various state houses. And they were also able to do quite a bit of gerrymandering and uh, that also allowed them to um, start um, pushing more restrictive voter tactics. You know, the voter ID laws and those types of things came about. And so now Obama is in office and they got their red map plan working and they can see that it's successful and they don't stop there because they're scared because, you know, he took his shellacking in 2010 and um, he reset and galvanized people. So in 2012, for his um, second uh, term, black tur uh, turnout exceeded white voters for the first time in history. Not by a lot, but it was... Um, definitely larger, about 66% to 64%. And lo and behold, the very following year came the 2013 Shelby versus Holder case, which took away Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, the preclearance. And that paved the way for Southern states to really go full steam with all sorts of um, voter restricting, restrictive um, laws and you know suppression tactics. And so that's just a little historical background and we can fill in the gaps and, and um, expound on any areas of these, but I think it's uh, important that we kind of lay that historical foundation down. And the next person I'm going to have speak to share with us a little bit from a historical uh, standpoint while I put some things in the Jumbotron is Dr. Marshall. So thank you for being here and thank you for, you know, helping to contribute to this, I think, needful conversation, Dr. Marshall. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm just going to... Oh mostly speak about what happened in parts of Georgia, maybe all of Georgia, but as Eugene pointed out, talking about voter suppression, we could just do this every day until Senator is reelected. From my standpoint, yes, um, we now have the Senate plus one with the vice president's vote, but we need his voice. The person who is running against him knows nothing. And I say that not just because of his recent entry into politics, but being from Georgia and having lived there during his football career and kind of knowing a little bit more about his background, he just is not the person. Um, before 
the space started. I was listening to some news and the fact that he played for, I believe it was University of Georgia and they have games coming up. Um, certain news media are speculating that the football team for which he formerly played, the school for which he formerly played for, that those young people will gravitate towards him in this re-election on the 6th. I don't think so, but you never know, because I don't understand how he got as many votes as he did. But having said that, let me back up and fill in some of the gaps with regard to what Dee shared. I want to start with 1861 when Georgia decided we don't need you, Union, and they seceded from the Union. During that period, my hometown of Augusta, first Savannah became the capital of Georgia. And I guess it was a little too warm and a little bit too close to the river. I, I don't remember all the details because they're really not, Im- they're important, but they're not important for this conversation. I'm, I'm just mentioning it in terms of how things flowed. Um, then the next place they chose Augusta as the capital of Georgia. That didn't last long either. But what was important about that is Augusta became a city that presidents liked to visit. So when Dee talks about Andrew Johnson, um, he didn't come to Augusta that I know of. But during that period, 1865 to 1870, or really 1865 to about 1890, um, Andrew Taft came a lot, uh, even into the 1900s. Um, But more specifically, when the um, 15th Amendment was passed, and African Americans got the right to vote. It was primarily men that got the right to vote. I was surprised in looking at my family history that my second and third great grandfathers both registered to vote in July of 1967. And when I looked more closely at their registration form, I saw that it was signed with an X, and that surprised me because I have a lot of documents in my family history that, thank goodness, somebody saved, and and both my second and third great-grandparents are listed on the 1950 census as being property owners I don't know if at some point they also worked as shareholders, um, but they were farmers. I never quite understood why my third great-grandfather moved from Virginia to Georgia when he could have just gotten north, but that's what he did. But I also know that in Virginia, any freed 
Man was told, if you stay in Virginia, we're going to sell you as a slave. Should you know, slave, um, should anyone come into our area looking for blacks? Doesn't matter whether you're free or not. If we see you, we're going to sell you. So why would you go no- go south? But that's in fact what he did. Nevertheless, it was Im- Im- important to me to see that both my second and third great grandparents had not only registered to vote, but had actually voted. However, as soon as Reconstruction started, um, almost all of the blacks who had registered to vote, whether in in Augusta or any part of Georgia or the South, that right was taken away. Um, When the Ku Klux Klan, when whites began to see that blacks were um, being very successful in terms of not only exercising their right to vote, but were teaching one another how to read. If you go back and read Frederick Douglass's autobiography and any others from that period, you will see that the enslaved who were responsible for helping the white child with his homework, their help was to make sure the kid didn't play but do the homework. Many of the enslaved children who had that task, they would make the child repeat his homework. The repetition was not for the kid, but was for the enslaved child. They were memorizing information Whatever the child wrote, they copied, and Frederick Douglass hid things in his hat. Others hid it wherever they could so that they could learn to read. I posted earlier last week a list of schools that were operating on January 1st, 1865 in Augusta. Um, These schools were were operated out of churches. Many of them were in homes. And that's just another testament to how determined we were as a people to learn to read and write and be active participants, active citizens in this country that we were at that point calling home. Even during the Reconstruction period and the period between 1870 and 1900, when there is a move to go back to Africa, you had people like Bishop Henry McNeil Turner of the AME Church. He, he was a staunch supporter of going back to Africa. He actually went to Liberia and was planning to stay, only he discovered, nope, life is not the same here. I need to go back. So he comes back to Georgia it's his life is significant in in the voter suppression part because he was one of those individuals who had won a Senate seat in Georgia. But once the KKK said, no, we're not allowing anyone to take their seats, he was one of those who could not take his seat. But that didn't stop them. The Blacks who were representatives in the state legislature, they went to court. 
And even though they didn't think they would win, short term they won. Because the court ruled that the legislature had to allow them to take their seats. They did, but we know that eventually they were forced out. The white legislature, the members came up with all kinds of reasons as to why a given person could not continue to hold his seat. On January 1st, 1865, I know a lot about Bishop Henry McNeil Turner only because my family grew up in Springfield Baptist Church, which has the distinction of being the oldest Black Baptist church still in the same spot founded in 1867. However, there's some debate about that, but I'm not here to talk about the debate, but more about the fact that they were very intentional about having political people come in and speak. They were intentional about helping to establish schools. Morehouse College was founded in the basement of Springfield Baptist Church before it moved to yet another church in Augusta and later to Atlanta. The Georgia Equal Rights Association was founded in Springfield and many others in addition to just a regular, what we would call elementary school, until a more permanent school is established. Now, I'm giving this history because while all of this is going on, whites are not having schools. Um, Blacks in Augusta and in Georgia generally had more schools, whether formally in a structure that someone built or in the homes of people who would hold a certain, have a certain number of hours per day where they were teaching people to learn to read. But as soon as they were able to get the money and the funding to build permanent structures, they did that. Keeping with the timeline, by 1893, and Georgia had Augusta. I, I kind of stick with Augusta because I know that most, but the point is what happened in Augusta was happening throughout Georgia. It was also happening in other Southern states. I just don't know those states' history to the extent that I know Georgia. But what I do know in my study of history is that a lot of what was happening in Georgia as far as um, voter suppression and trying to keep us from learning to become literate was happening throughout the South and in some places in the North as well. So in 1880, a school called Ware High School was established in Augusta. By 1890-92, that school had closed because it didn't have enough attendance. Well, it wasn't closed by Black folk because we don't close schools unless we absolutely have to. It was closed by the whites in the community because how dare we have Ware High School 
and then several other high schools, including a private high school and a private high school at one of the historically black colleges that was just forming. So the Board of Education um, closed the school. The blacks there didn't accept it. They appealed to the Georgia State Supreme Court um, because by then, in 1897, Plessy versus Ferguson had occurred and separate but equal. So as far as whites were concerned, we had our separate school and, and one was sufficient. Um, blacks didn't agree. So they appealed in 1899 in Cummings versus the Board of Ed, first to the Georgia State Supreme Court and then to the Supreme Court of the United States both of which just kicked it back to the local. And what they finally agreed on was that since whites had two new schools, they would allow the black community to build a school, another school. That's kind of what happens today when you think about um, all of the um, redistricting that has occurred in that redistricting, um, we lost, here in New York, we lost um, districts where we had representation in the House. In other states, um, not only did they lose areas or um, polling sites for, for Blacks, they just totally obliterated um, such sites and people... If you didn't have a car or a bike, even in 2022, how were you going to get to the polls? Passing laws that if you're online, like in Georgia, I can't give you a bottle of water because then we both might be arrested and both prevented from being able to vote. Voter suppression laws, Georgia was one of the first states to incorporate voter suppression laws in its constitution. That tells you a lot about how much, and I, I call it envy. Now their fear is not that we'll learn to read. Their fear is that black and brown people are more of the population generally than they are because they have not been having children. Now they're pushing their women to have children just like they did during slavery. They wanted the women to have children, but the women didn't necessarily want to have children because the women themselves weren't being allowed to become educated. And if they were allowed to become educated, the focus was not on them becoming educated for themselves to enrich themselves and build a life that would help the entire family. Um, that education was an insurance that the male child, if they had a male child, would receive the very best education available before he could be enrolled in school. While on the other hand, his sister would not receive 
education for that reason. She would be educated, but that's so that when she was of childbearing age, she could do what her mother did, have another boy or have a boy, educate him, but not her daughter. That wasn't happening in the black community because our goal was to educate everyone from the child to the mother to the grandmother, grandfather, whomever in the black community that wanted to learn to read and become educated, whether you wanted to learn to read because you wanted to learn to read the Bible or because you wanted to improve your life and you didn't want to be, um, you didn't necessarily want to pull yourself up by your bootstraps as Booker T. Washington advocated, nor did you necessarily want to be in the talented 10th Especially, you might want to be in the talented 10th, but Du Bois' talented 10th meant that you had to be in a certain intellectual category or intellectual, what's the word that I want to use? You had to be of a certain IQ, I'll just use that word, um, to qualify for his uh, talented 10th. Basically, you could go to college get a college degree, and move on with your life. With Booker T, you could put yourself up by your bootstraps, get some kind of vocational job, whether it was becoming a better farmer, both of which we need. We needed it then, and we need it now. Black farmers are, are, are still being shortchanged. But in the midst of the Booker T. Du Bois debate, there were women. One in particular, the woman I wrote about, Lucy Craft Laney, her position was that we should know vocational and college. We should know everything that there was to know so that we could improve our lives, the lives of our family, the lives of our children, and become better citizens and make this country a better place. Um... I wanted to mention two specific things that really come up to the 20th century. I'm, I, I know I'm skipping a lot. But it's just impossible to do a full voter suppression in the time that we have. So right. I, I selected to just mention certain things. So the last two things I want to mention... Um, Dee reposted some information that I researched and it's on my timeline and it's, you know, on her timeline. I really recommend that you look at that. But the two things I wanted to suggest that you look at, one, I'm sure most of you heard about Isaac, my mind goes blank on me again. Um, the soldier who was leaving, actually it was Camp Gordon, which is right outside of my um, hometown. He had served his time in World War II. This is 1946. He leaves. He's discharged from the Camp Gordon. He comes into Augusta. He gets a bus headed home to South Carolina and 
what's important about that to me is when I first read his story and learned that when he asked the bus driver to just hold a little bit, you know, when they're in South Carolina so he could get off and use the bathroom, it later hit me that this man went and bought his ticket in the same place that my grandmother bought tickets for me and my siblings when we traveled to New York. And that is in Augusta of the 1940s, 1950s, and I think even into the early 1960s, if you wanted to buy a ticket to go anywhere, you had to go through the baggage room and to a small window and buy your ticket. You could not go through the nice, you know, lounge, the front area of the bus station because everything was segregated. And if you went through the front door, you were going to be asked to leave. And if you objected, then you might be arrested. And who knows what else you might end up. I'm like this gentleman. If you wanted to order food, you couldn't go in the front door and order the food. My grandmother always packed our lunch, but I know that if you wanted to order food, you would have to go through the luggage room to that same little window where you purchased your ticket and order food. Most Blacks wouldn't do that because we didn't know whether the food was good or not, unless you knew who was on duty, whether the black cook that you knew was preparing the food, then you could feel trusted. That might not, in your mind, constitute voter suppression, but it was voter suppression. Because if we had a voice, we had a voice, but if our voice had been listened to and we had been able to vote our conscience as we wanted to, there would have not, there would not have been a back door to go in to buy a ticket. And we would not have had to ride the back of the bus. I knew at six or seven, eight, nine, I left when I was 11, but I knew when I got on the bus in my neighborhood, I could sit anywhere I wanted. But I also knew, and I don't remember anybody ever telling me Mary, you have to get up when you get to a certain point. But I knew from observation that when that bus hit a certain part of our city, I needed to move to the back of the bus. Otherwise, my life could be in danger. That's all part of voter suppression. I posted two articles from a newspaper, The Echo, I've posted them before, because even when women got the right to vote in 1920, 21, it was white women. I mean, it said right. all, even though all we women. helped them to achieve that. Exactly. It said all women, but we didn't, that didn't happen for us. Now, yes, in some states, North and even in some Southern states, depending on who you were and who you knew, you might have been able to cast a ballot. But basically, it took 40 more years into the 1960s before black women could vote. My grandmother was born in 1900. She wasn't able to cast a vote until 1962, 10 years before she would die. 
I mean, I can't even imagine that knowing what I know now. But it didn't stop my grandmother from being a member of as many political organizations, including the PTA and other organizations, to get out the vote. So the two articles I posted um, are about mass meetings that were held in 1920 for the for the women in Augusta to come together so they could be taught how to register to vote. Because even if they weren't going to be allowed, you needed to register so that whatever objection came up, you had your paper to say you were registered. And we know they were educated because they'd been doing that since even before slavery stopped. Um, so I vicariously experienced Mr. Isaacs, and, and I, I forgive me that I'm just blanking on it, Woodard, Isaac Woodard. I vicariously experienced his exper- experience. I didn't get hurt. Um, I didn't lose my life. He was blinded for the rest of his life. From 1946 to 1992, when he died here in New York. Um, But we have lost and we continue to lose our lives and other opportunities because of voter suppression. So I will stop there. And at other times, if I have more to contribute, I'll just raise my hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Marshall, for, you know, adding some depth um, and historical perspective and some very personal historical perspective to this conversation. And, you know, the beginning of changing anything is is awareness and understanding, you know, of what the issue and the problem is. So that's why we're kind of having, you know, a little lesson today. We are going to continue to conversate, but I wanted to lay down some information for us to conversate around because it's important, you know, past this prologue, okay? Um, you know, the um, attack that is going on in our education, uh, educational system, you heard Dr. Mary talk about, um you know, what they were doing and how they were doing uh, and how black people fought to learn, even though, you know, we could have been killed for it It was against the law because knowledge is power. We've always known that. And that's where I am today with this. Knowledge is power. And I want to give us the power to change things. And that starts with us understanding um, the issues that are going on so that we can then um, begin to uh, strategize and formulate solutions. Because, you know, I mentioned, and, and we can talk about it more in depth, but I mentioned that red map plan, that strategizing. They knew that they were being outnumbered and they came up with a plan and a strategy. We know that they're suppressing our votes and how they're doing it. Some of it is legislatively and some of it is a bit more insidious, but we have to find ways to um, work around it. And uh, certainly, like I said, the beginning of that is just making people aware of it. So I have asked some other people to add some depth to our conversation. And I know they're here. I'm not sure they're able to speak at this time, but that would be Geechee and Mark 
and brother Khalil. So whenever they roll in and um, they're ready to add to this, you know, conversation, please do feel free to come on up. But anyone else who is here in the space, I want to thank you again today, as always, for being here. I'm always honored and humbled uh, to have you in our presence, whether you are actively speaking or just sitting in the gallery listening, because it's all important. And so I just want to kind of continue the conversation, but as always and every day, this space is about everything that is affecting our democracy. And certainly, you know, we have a runoff going on in Georgia and we have a lot of, um, you know, members of our collective community who are there. And so we certainly want to talk about that. And Mark Elias has already uh, kind of uh, given us a heads up that they're trying to pull out some old arcane laws Again, voter suppression. And we need to just keep making people aware of what they need to do, when they need to do it, because we know that it is not above or beyond them to misinform people, to purposely, you know, um, um, disenfranchise them. So that's why we work so hard here. And we know that our work has made a difference. How? Because we still have a majority in the Senate, you know. And um, that makes me happy. And I, I know that it makes all of you happy because, you know, you see the fruits of your labor in that. And it is uh, what it's going to take for us. Dr. Um, Marsha was also uh, so uh, generous in pointing me to some resources to check out. And one of them, which I shared in the Jumbotron, is a wonderful interview or conversation with Dr. Bernice um, King. And it just, um, it kind of speaks to, I mean, you know, everyone knows who her father is, but it speaks to the importance, like, um, of, of our work and, um, and how we work effectively. And I know, you know, her father and certainly the late great representative John Lewis speaks about the beloved community. And, you know, I like to think of our collective as that community. Um, you know, trying, uh, it's a community, it doesn't mean it's perfect, but what it is, it's a community that's fighting for justice, for humane and um, equitable uh, rights for everyone. You know, in other words, just a healthy, thriving democracy. And I want to thank all of you for, you know, doing your part um, to make that so. (laughs) And it's a continuous work. So, um, I just want to thank you again for being here. And I'm going to go with a few hands that we have up. Um, and um, Soul Sister, who is also going to be um, one of our featured co-ho- uh, guest co-hosts. Uh, so I'm going to go to her and I just want to thank her. We have some other wonderful ladies who have agreed to do this. And that would be Shauna and Miss Donna and Danny and Ngazi and of course Tamina and Bobby. So we are creating a wonderful bench of talent to help our conversations continue and expand. So I want to go to Soul Sister and then um, Gambit and then one of the people that I asked to contribute to this conversation, which he will always educate us and make it plain and clear. And that will be Mark. So Soul Sister, Gambit and Mark. Um, thank you so much, Dee and Eugene, for holding the space and uh, keeping us focused. I appreciate it so much. And I'm not going to be up here long right now um, I, because I do have to get my monster. But I did want to say that uh, one thing that I appreciate is uh, 
you know, you're putting up that that red map information. And I just want to point out from my experience from when I was working with the union, um, it was very demonstrative that they would cut into um, communities and districts where union members were working because union members often had in their contracts um, election day as a holiday, a paid holiday. Um, So, you know, the first thing that they, not the first thing, but one of the things that they definitely targeted were uh, union workers as well as minorities because they, they wanted to disenfranchise exactly as you said. And, you know, if we look at the date of when they started, I mean, it was what, just a, a couple years after President Obama uh, was elected, right. they got you know to it's very they, telling, they, very yes, telling. They, they saw that 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 minority tide shifting, and they worked, you know, yeah. to um, to suppress it. Absolutely, they, you know, yeah, absolutely. And I will say that we learned um, as an organization that um, the idea of being a Democrat was very strong prior to 2016. You know, you see, uh, you see, we saw a definite um, decrease in uh, Democratic, Democratic candidate support around 2014. And who was making noise at that point? I'm not going to even say his name in the space because he's not worth it. I also wanted to say that it's, um, it was really, really, um, a, a big deal, basically, for for Shauna to pull together the list of House representatives as well as you know other candidates who were minorities because those races um, do get overlooked. And also, when you're dealing with the House races, they get very confusing for the voters, and I think they do it on purpose, especially after they've uh, red mapped everything. So I, you know, there are some. There were a few um, websites that were helpful to people where they could go and get information um, to help you, uh, you know, better understand who the Democratic candidates were in your district, et cetera. But, you know, I don't think that it was as widely spread as we need it to be. And, and, and I guess that's one thing that we can work on. But, you know, when I'm just looking at... Um, the the red mapping of of some of these some of these states you know North Carolina Michigan Pennsylvania Wisconsin those particularly have a large union or had a large union presence um now I don't I I couldn't tell you right now I'd have to really you know look at some numbers but when I was working and those were those were stronghold states for for the UAW. And, and, you know, other unions as well. So I, I just wanted to, to point that out to say that, um, y- you know, we're definitely you're definitely saying everything that that we need to hear. And, um, you know, this is we, we kind of have a blueprint of where we need to go because it's pretty obvious how they've targeted. So we understand their strategy. We just have to solidify our countermeasures to that strategy, that Southern um, strategy that they have going against uh, voters who, who are 
really fighting for their democracy, for our democracy in, in this country. So um, if I if I jump off, I, I will be back. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm going to be like holding my hand up, but I just really wanted to, to say say those things. So thank you so much for the opportunity to speak in the space. Well, thank you so much. And we understand we all have in real life stuff. So I know, uh, too, that a lot of people who come, uh, they are only able to listen. And I do appreciate that. And I do um, think that that is just as important. So leave uh, when you need to. And, you know, you're welcome back anytime. So um, we appreciate you sharing and actually, you know, kind of giving us some more specific historical um information to, you know, again, just draw attention to the places where they work and how they work. So thanks. I Dave, so appreciate I, I, that. I, I got to say, I've really enjoyed the, the way that the background has been woven into this. Like, I'm so glad we're, we're recording this. I, I think this is something people should like listen to a couple Oh, absolutely. So it's a great time to remind people to share and retweet the space, even for those who are not able to be here. Uh, they can, um, you know, share it and replay it back uh, themselves and, and share it with others. So um, I absolutely agree. And that is the purpose. And I am hoping that it will prove to be, you know, effective for us. So uh, let's go next to Gamut and then Mark and then Ngazi. Well, first I'll go, Mark, you have a moment. Um, Ngazi, I, do, I did ask Mark to kind of uh, expound on this topic as well. So I'm going to go to Gamut, Mark, and then you, Ngazi, Ngazi sure. if that's okay. <clears throat> All right. Gambit, you up? Okay, yeah, good morning. Uh, Hi. I gotta, I gotta be really brief because okay. um, I have to go to work. But um, more historical context, uh, the Snyder Act wasn't passed until 1924. And that was when, on paper, Native Americans got the right to vote. In reality, this wasn't until decades later. Um, after World War II is when, at least here in New Mexico, Native Americans got the right to vote. And I believe that may have been the last state um, where they were actually allowed, but even then, further down the road, Jim Crow laws were also targeted towards um, indigenous people. In modern day, um, as far as voter suppression goes, um, I have made mention of this before, the um, results of the Arizona redistricting uh, last year, um, you know, the way that the Republicans wanted to try to um, interpret redistricting here in New Mexico, for example, uh, the continual um, redistricting in other states like South Dakota, North Dakota, um, and how it seeks to dilute Native American votes. Um, and then also, I did put up um, two things on the Jumbotron, one which was a statement between um, Vice President Kamala Harris and Secretary of Interior Deb Holland. Um, regarding, um, regarding that, it is still relevant today. Um, but then I also did some data analysis earlier today, um, which I also put up in the Jumbotron um, regarding exit polling and how exit... And honestly, I think that exit polling... Um, also works in terms of voter suppression or voter depression um, by skewing the stats of um, how Native Americans vote. Um, 
as I put up in there, there were a lot of states with high representations of uh, Native American population that were not even given the benefit of exit polling. Uh, so Alaska, Hawaii, um, New Mexico, California, uh, Wyoming, um, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, all these, uh, even Oklahoma, all these states that have very high percentages or raw numbers of Native American people and there's no exit polling. Um, go back to 2016, um, there, was, uh, there was exit polling in New Mexico, but 9%, 9% of um, those polled were listed as quote-unquote other. However, uh, keep in mind that New Mexico has about 11% of our population is indigenous. Um, add on top of that, you know, um, I think it was in... 2020, uh, CNN listed Native American people as something else. Um, you know, it, there's, there's all these things, right? And then on top of it, you also have a lack of post offices on reservations. I was reading something in the New Yorker about the 2020 election. Some people have to go almost 300 miles away to go vote because they live on a reservation, never mind non-traditional addresses, um, lack of postal service, lack of post office boxes, even when they do have postal service. And those are all things that are um, controlled by Congress. Congress has to um, enact legislation in order to open up new post offices. And that is largely not done um, when it comes to Native Americans, they're not given the access, um, you know, and then, uh, of course, you know, the people that do not speak English, they have to go vote in person because they need language assistance, because in a lot of places, the ballots, even when they are done by mail, they are not necessarily done in languages other than English. So um, that's my diatribe for today. You know, and so on point, Gambit, thank you Represent. so very, exactly. I am so grateful that you had an opportunity and a desire to come in and add that perspective because this is what we need. We need to understand it affects many communities, mostly minorities. And, you know, of course, the indigenous community has um, had a, you know, very um uh, long history of um, voter suppression and, and, you know, just total erasure. And um, we want to keep to the forefront the ways in which they are doing this, you know, past as well as current, because they have not stopped. And this is what we need to understand. It is a relentless, persistent march that they have. And we have to be as relentless and persistent in our pushback, you know, keeping, um, you know, an eye on all the ways in which it's being done and to all the communities that are being affected by it and how. So I am so thankful. I appreciate it. And I hope that you have a great rest of your day. And again, as always, always appreciate you taking time out to come in and share with us, even when you have to rush off to work and to school. And I hope school is going well for you as well. All right, so up next, we've got Mark and then Ngazi. Hey, good afternoon. Um, democracy first, and thank you, Dee, and thank you, Eugene. Good to be here again. And then also, um, thank you for this topic. Uh, it's, a, it's a topic that's um, near and dear to my heart, not only uh, personally, but in, in academia as well. 
Um, so I like to break stuff down. And I, I'm sorry if I get a little bit professorial, but this is a very important topic. And it's, there's, a, there's, a couple of, um, there's, there's a couple of things that need to be understand when we talk about voting rights. Like we need to talk about where it came from, where we came from, and then where we are now. So I'm going to kind of go through that, try to put it all in five minutes, and then whatever questions, um, that'd be great. Um, but the Voting Rights Act, right? Let's start there. Everybody knows about that. That was a 1965 act. What it did is it enforced the 15th Amendment. Hey, um, hey, Mark, let me just, yes. I, I, I'm ready for what you've got to give us, but your mic kind of goes in and out a bit. Can you just kind of check? Because I want this to be so clear and good. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Let, let me let me switch. I'm going to switch. Okay. I'm going yeah. to, okay, here we go. All right. Can you hear me now? Oh, beautiful. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so the uh, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was passed to enforce the 15th Amendment from 1870, 90 years later. Um, as you guys, as everybody pretty much knows, and let me remind you, if you don't know, um, after the Civil War, um, there was a, a few constitutional amendments that were passed. The 13th Amendment set black people free. Um, the 14th Amendment guaranteed citizenship. Um, and the 15th Amendment, um, somebody alluded to this earlier, um, it guaranteed that uh, black males were able to vote. Um, and again, the 15th Amendment was not talking about black women, but it was talking about black males were able to vote. Um, that's where our voting rights um, come from. But in between the time, in that 95 years, um, between uh, the... Um, the 15th Amendment and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, there was uh, things such as liter literacy tests, um, the grandfather clauses that prevented uh, black people from voting. Um, so we came to the we came to the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Now, there's a couple sections of the Voting Rights Act that. Um, You're kind of distant. It looks, it sounds like you left your mic, Mark. Mark, we lost you. Hey, Mark. Oh, Mark. Mark, we lost you. I'm going to give him a second to kind of um, get his mic together there. Um, and Ghazi, um, um, hang on just a second. Let me see. Mark, can you hear us? Um, check your mic, Eugene. I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to get let Ngazi go. I'm going to drop Mark down and bring him back up because I don't know. Uh, he doesn't seem to be responding, so he may be having a, a connection problem. So my, my mic's working fine, right? Yes, I can hear okay. you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he may be having a, you know, a connection problem. So I'm going to drop him down. Ngazi, um, you can continue this and uh, while I try to get Mark back up and, and pick back up where he left off there uh, and then Reginald. Uh, so Ngazi, welcome. Hi, everybody. Thank you um, for the opportunity.
Can y'all hear me okay? In Gazi? No. Am I missing something here? Sorry. Are we having no. problems with everybody's? Yeah, no. Um, she, you dropped out. So I'm okay. um, just kind of start, start again. Okay. Sorry <laughs> about that. And I'll try to be quick. Um, what, um, I just wanted to kind of add a, a, an addendum, I guess, item. I'm not sure. But when we talk about voter suppression, which is very important, I think we should do. And we should do it off on election years and off election years. But I think it's really important for us to define what voter suppression looks like because every time, and I'm sure if y'all were seeing this as well, but when we talk about it, people are always rebound with, but we have record people voting to imply as if because more people are voting, that means people are not being suppressed in their vote. Um, Senator Warnock did this in his debate with um, Hersha Walker, which I think was overlooked and missed and, and ignored because of the drama. But they asked him directly, how are people being voter suppressed when it was HBO2 when pe- people are still record voting? Um, and he very clearly stated, you can, if you put in a bill that you cannot give people food or water in line and then make their line long when they go to vote, that is suppressing the vote. Um, if we look at Texas with their ID law, if you're allowed to vote with a um, hunting license but not a school license, you're picking your voters. And so being very clear for people who don't understand, because voter suppression is such a broad term, being clear with people to understand it is not necessarily the bill itself. It's not the wording itself. It is the impact of these actions on the, uh, on the ability of people to go and exercise their constitutional rights. If anybody ends up... Well, and Gazi, that is what our, our whole conversation is about today, so that we can have that understanding. Because I think... Yeah, I mean, I think that most of the people here, that's what that's why we're expanding the conversation, because it's not, um, you know, a simple one thing that's so that we can understand exactly what it is and what it looks like. Awesome. Then I'll go back to the gallery. (laughs) Well, you can stay up. I just I just didn't want you you to, you know, re you know, hash what we've kind of already covered. and, And like it's kind of understood here why we're here and why we're having this conversation so that we can uncover all these ways. And I've checked and put some things in the Jumbotron, um, you know, because, you know, things, the ways that they did it, as Mark was alluding to in the past and how they're doing it now in the present. In the past, it was poll tax, literacy test, and sometimes just outright intimidation, which looked different you know, but those same things are going on today. Poll tax, IDs, requirements, um, you know, um, laws um, implied and, and implicit, you know, um, right. intimidation. So, yes, we're, this is the conversation we're going to keep having so that we can come up. First of all, we have an understanding of it and then we can come up with solutions to overcome it and to work around it. Yes, well. I will add that one of the solutions I think is helping people understand when they ask that question, when we see that, but people are voting, breaking it down for them. Because yes, in this space, we all understand, but in our day-to-day relationships, people might not. So I'll add that and then I'll go back to listening. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you for all the folks that have come up and uh, because I'm trying to get Mark back, who was kind of one of my uh, special panelists on this conversation today. Please bear with me. I am going to, as soon as I can get him back, I'm going to make him a temporary co-host so that we 
can continue to take hands. And like I said, the, you know, we're focusing on voter suppression, but if there are some other current um, important issues, because there are many things going on uh, that we need to discuss, we will do that. But as always, I keep it focused. So with that being said, I did have Reginald who was up. I'm going to go with him and then um, Black Stem. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, um, Reginald and then Stevie. Stevie, so thank you so much. I'm glad that you came up today. And um, Stevie, I know, has a great, a great wealth of knowledge. And um, so I'm looking forward to hearing from her. So Reg, you go, then Stevie, and I will pick up from there. Uh, thank you, D. How y'all? How you doing? And Eugene and everyone. Uh, Hi, Reg. <clears throat> we will have uh the conversation you having now. Yeah, it bring back a lot of memories and stuff. I came up in the fifties and sixties, seventies. I served in two uniforms for this country, and it it kind of mind boggling that. The pages of history are getting turned back. And uh, the folks uh, of this country just sitting back, let it happen. Uh, the Senate, if we lose the House, that's great. We got the Senate. Mitch McConnell has been showed as a turtle that he is that we run into his shell. Be a little bit of John McCain. Be a little bit of a uh, of a uh, Ted Kennedy and all that. Do a blitz on them. Get all the bills during the President Obama uh, days that they hidden and tucked away and didn't want to sit on. That they want to sit on and not even bring them out. Push it down the throat. Make them. Make this democracy work that's it that's why we're here every day rich having these conversations coming up with strategies and Don't, solutions i'm tired of schumer and the democrats coming out taking a high road if a bully keep bullying you what are you going to do you're going to keep paying him off kissing his butt or you're going to stand up and fight i mean fight take the gloves off and not living daylights out of them. And then I admire the American, the Native Americans. They are the rulers of this darn country. But just like when I was a kid, I lived in a reservation on a reservation. Only time I could come out when the sun is up. But when the sun go down, I better be back out in the country. <laughs> well, it, I, is, it is crazy how we think we're going forward, but we're going backwards. Forget the, the stuff that you want to get. Get the stuff that you got and put it out there and let people live again. Let fight. We, we, we put you in office. That's right, Reg. If you can wrap it up. So I appreciate yeah, your passion. And, uh, all right. Well, I, I just wanted to get that off my chest. 
I appreciate it. And I thank you. And I know that you understand what's happening here because of the time period that, you know, you lived in and you saw these things in real life. And it, it is very disheartening to those of us who, you know, saw the pages, you know, um, the, the pages of history and, and to know, as you said, um, we're turning them backwards. And uh, Eugene, check your mic, please. Eugene. Uh, check your mic. And up next, we've got Stevie, then Black Stem, Madeline, uh, Johnny, and Graham. Hey, thank you for having me. Let me speak. Um, and just to clarify, it sounds like uh, you run a tight ship. So I want to make sure you are discussing what voter suppression looks like today and how to combat it. Combat that? Yes. Okay. Perfect. I just dropped something in the... Uh, in the chat as well, uh, the 2017 uh, North Carolina case about ID. Uh, I hope that people really take the time to look through it. Uh, they call it the smoking gun uh, because voter suppression looks like, you know, a, a state legislature pulling uh, voter data by race and finding out the most popular ways that black voters vote. Student ID, weekends, uh, Saturdays, Sundays, uh, a couple of other different various forms of ID as well. Uh, so that's what it looks like today. That was right after the preclearance dropped when they did that and they implemented that here in Texas too. Also be sure to please look at the fine print of your voter ID laws in your state individually. Everyone thinks that Texas has a strict voter ID. There are multiple forms of ID that do not require a photo here in the state of Texas, but it's in the fine print. So you have to know about it. So be sure if there's anyone in your life uh, that is, you know, you run across a voter that is worried about going to vote, that you're able to tell them, hey, don't worry about that, go to the polls, or direct them to exactly what the law is in your state. Um, voter suppression looks like anything that's reducing voter accessibility for no reason. For example, Harris County had their drive-through voting. Uh, it was the exact same election uh, voting process, and. Uh, it was the exact same voter process as our curbside voting for our, to be ADA compliant. So that's what, it, that's what it looks like. It's the exact same thing, but they didn't want it because it was convenient and it allowed for more people to vote. Again, anything that reduces voter accessibility for no reason, that's what it is. That's voter suppression. That's, that's what it looks like today. Uh, making all these cases with these felons that are being arrested in, in Texas and in Florida, uh, they know that they aren't going to get those cases, FYI. They know they're not going to win those cases. They're not, it's not easy to prove that someone did, you know, committed voter fraud on purpose. Once they get that, that case to court, they're going to drop it. They might not even do the indictment. That's all for show so they can scare former felons into not voting, not even trying to register to vote. That's something I'm going to be working on here in the next uh, two years. I'm going to be working on something regarding making sure former felons are not no longer afraid to register to vote. Um, and that, yeah, that's kind of what it looks like now when I think about it. So and those are hopefully the ways that you can combat it and outsmart it. And it's always just by being educated and calling it what it is. So thank you for letting me share. I appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. And um, thank you for sharing such um, a valuable contributions and I hope um, whenever you're able that you come back and become a you know a part of our conversation here because um, as you said you know pointing it out and showing us what it looks like now um, and to be part of that conversation 
uh, for the solutions and um, how we work around it. And, um, you know, understanding what it looks like is, is the beginning of that. So thank you so very much. And we do have Mark back up. Um, hopefully um, we can keep him here and we want to pick up and continue with um, where he left off. And then I'll pick back up with the hands. Thanks so much, Mark. I appreciate you. Well, where do, I don't I don't know where I left off. <laughs> well, let me just tell you this: before you came in, I kind of gave a, a chronological historical overview. Okay. Like I cut, I covered all of those important dates of the you know uh, the amend the Reconstruction amendments and you know the dates that we got um, you know out uh, those. Um, Voting rights of 1965, but you know, I want you to kind of give us some depths, you know, to go go into those in any area of that that you would like. You know, I brought us all the way up to how um, in 2010, well, with the election of uh, President Obama, um, them starting to see the uh, black voter um, shift, you know, increasing and coming up with their red map plan to kind of overcome it and in a very strategic way. And then, you know, he got a shellacking from their plan because it was very strategic, but then he galvanized and worked and for his second, you know, term in 2012, the black voter turnout for the first time in history exceeded white voters, not by a lot, but enough to scare them. So that's when they brought 2013, the Shelby versus Holder decision. But you, because of your depth of knowledge and understanding, you know, like Dr. Marshall, when she shared with us, she shared from a personal standpoint of, of historical things, um, because she's from Georgia, and those types of things and, and present day things. And so wherever you want to add depth to this conversation, please continue. But I just kind of wanted to let you know, that we had kind of covered the chronological history. And of course, there's a lot to dig in because you, you're talking about gaps sometimes of 30, 40 years, you know, the, the um, amendments for the, that came out of reconstruction and then having to wait for the women's uh, right to vote. And then, you know, the, uh, the 1965 vote, which really gave all of us black folks, you know, an opportunity to vote. So I'm just going to turn it over to you with, you know, kind of that understanding of, what we've covered and how, and you just um, share with us what you will as you will. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, 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 you know, I did a whole, I, I don't know when I cut off, but I, I was, I was talking the whole time and then I didn't realize I cut off, but um, so sorry if I repeat myself, if, if I have, but um, when you break down the voting rights act and uh, what is effective, what effectively we're talking about, um, with regard to how it can be, how it's enforced, is we're talking about Section 5 and Section 2. Um, that's where the attacks on the Voting Rights Act are at this point. Um, so what are Section 5 and Section 2 of the VRA? So sec sec Section 5 was enacted to freeze changes in, the elect in, in election practices or procedures in certain jurisdictions until new procedures have been determined either after administrative review by the attorney general or a lawsuit before the United States district court for the district of Columbia. That's the central district court. Um, <clears throat> and they had to have neither discriminatory purpose or effect. So discriminatory purpose is the intent part that they're trying to make the standard effect is the part that is to us. Uh, it's, 
it's logical, right? So um, they, you can always argue, like, you know, it's the, it's the same thing. Like, I'm not a racist, even though I say, you know, I, I sang that, like that girl in Kentucky um, that like was calling that black girl the N-word. She said she wasn't a racist. Uh, you know, they, you can all, always argue intent, but the effect is racism. You affected racism right there by saying the N-word to that girl. It's the same thing with, with Section 5, right? When these legislators, when they en- enact this legislation that basically splits the black vote into five districts um, and usurp some of the power of black vote, even when you do vote, you're not you, you're never going to be able to have power because you don't have enough numbers in your district. That's what that's what these Republicans are doing with these ger- this gerrymandering. Now, don't get me wrong, though. Democrats ger- gerrymander, too, but it's not race based gerrymandering. It, it's gerrymandering uh, on, on a party base. So every party wants to strengthen their numbers. It's just that one party strengthens their numbers by weakening uh, the numbers of people of color to participate and have representation. Um, you know, that, that thing, taxation without representation, which is another argument against against uh, these restrictions on voting rights. So that's what the Shelby County, um, the Shelby County case did. It It's uh, they they um, <clears throat> they said it, it, it the. Um, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was unconstitutional because the, the formula that was in Section 2 that identifies the areas where, like the southern areas like Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, those are outdated. But so, but, and let's, let's take Louisiana as a prima facie, when I say prima facie, that's an example of why they were wrong, why Justice Roberts was wrong who wrote this opinion. Um, Louisiana is 30% black. Louisiana's legislature just um, just drew six districts. Only one of them is black. And that's a case called Burnovich. That's that the Supreme Court ruled upon um, ruled upon in, in 2021. And here's what and this. But that involved that's a good segue into Section two, the other important section of the Voting Rights Act that is under attack. Um, <clears throat> it goes in July 2021, the Supreme Court, this conservative court made it more dis- more difficult to challenge the law um so that uh but that so that was the arizona case it wasn't louisiana case Louis, the louisiana case is coming up uh, but it's still based upon section two but in 2021 there's arizona case um and they they ruled that um that the court ruled that two arizona voting laws did not burden voting, voters of color enough to constitute a violation of the vra in doing so what they claimed was they said hey um, they created new guideposts, not not effect um, and purpose, but they created new new guideposts. That, and like this is Justice Thomas thinking, right? You can you can actually kind of hear him. Um, whether a state provides more opportunities now than the state did in Section Two, when Section Two was last in, in 1982. So what they want to do is say, hey, that, are there more opportunities now than in 1982? Are there more polling places? I mean, th- these artificial these artificial guideposts that the Supreme Court just took out of the air um, to say, hey, there, there's no um, there's no purposeful discrimination. And the result is better than what it was in 1982, which is crazy. Um, then you have Merrill versus Mulligan, which a three, a three judge panel, two of which were Trump appointees, voted to require Alabama to create a second district that would have that would have been lean, that would have been black and lean Democratic um, instead of squishing all the black votes into one district. They enjoying that they say you can't do that you need to redraw the district but guess what this um i call them the 2016 supreme court did because 2016 gave us three uh these justices 
they uh, decided to take the case, but they stayed the um, they stayed the injunction so that it counted in this in this election cycle. And say, for instance, the Republicans have 218 and the Democrats have 217. Well, that case made the difference. Um, there's another case in Louisiana um, <clears throat> that the Supreme Court decided that when they granted cert on it, um, it's called Arduan versus Robinson. So it's something to look at. It involves redistricting, redistricting in Louisiana. And I, and I was, like I said before, Louisiana is 30 percent black. And it, there's also this paper bag thing that's, that's going to be coming up to the um, the legislature. I mean, excuse me, the Supreme Court in a minute. But they took the case um, and held it because they're going to decide mail first. But they took up the case. But the, the, the Louisiana uh, legislature led by Republicans um, basically gave black voters one district from New Orleans all the way to Baton Rouge. And out of six, even though the state is 30 percent black. Um, and again, I go back to the discriminatory purpose versus discriminatory intent. This is the, this is all. And I'm culminating here. This is why this is why not only voting is important, but it's important to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act now, because there are certain things that would happen before we go into this next Congress. First of all, the, the John Lewis Voting Rights Voting Rights Act would modernize and revitalize the Voting Rights Act by strengthening the legal protections um, against discriminatory voting policies. Um, it, it restores the Supreme Court, what the Supreme Court struck down in Shelby County by creating a new formula in Section 4B or Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act to determine which jurisdictions uh, with a history of voting discrimination are subject to preclearance. That's very important, the history of discrimination um, then and now combined. Um, and it adds the practice-based coverage, making certain types of discriminatory voting changes subject to preclearance, meaning discriminatory effect and purpose, excuse me, effect and purpose, yes, can be taken into consideration. It's very important. It's hard to prove purpose and intent. Easy to prove effect. Hey, um, what you said, like, you know, that's I, I, you probably didn't mean it, but like, it, it hurts, right? Um, hey, the way you voted, um, you know, I'm not sure if you are being racist, but all the black people only have one district, even though we're 30 percent of the whole state. That's a problem. Um, so imagine how hard it is to prove the purpose of discrimination rather than the intent of discrimination there. Or excuse me, the effect of it. Uh, it, it affects um, it, it affects the ability for black people to vote and have and but not just vote, but vote for people that will represent their interests. That's the whole thing. The bill also restores Section 2. Remember I said Section 5 and Section 2 are the very important. In the wake of the Burnovich case in 2021, to ensure that voters have the full ability to challenge voting discrimination in court so that they so that they don't have to prove discriminatory purpose. They can prove the effect, and that is enough. Um, and that's what we're, you know, that's that's why this is a great subject. That's what we're fighting for. Um, that, that is why we're voting, because we're voting, we're, we're not voting just to vote. Right. We're voting for people that we want to uh, to represent us. Um, and, it, you know, whether you're black, you're white, um, you know, and, and or anything in the middle, you want people that represent you. Uh, but you have this this force that's trying to stop you from voting for people that would represent you. And they're they're doing it not by um, not by, you know, market fluctuation. They're doing it on purpose. They're actually trying to discriminate against us. So th those are the cases that have been decided and some of the cases that are coming up to be decided that we need we need to pay attention to and also to like you know add to this amazing discussion about voting rights
Thank you so much, Mark. And um, again, um, great information. And do you have any updates for us on this case that is pending, which will um, ultimately uh, kind of just really destroy <laughs> our chances for a democracy should it go through? Um, and that's the independent independent state legislature um, lawsuit that's there. Do you have any updates for us on that? Well, well I know that I know that um, oral arguments are scheduled uh, pretty soon. Um, but the, the the one thing that about the independent state legislature, there's no there's no constitutional basis there. That that wasn't the intent. It's, that's not anywhere in in the notes and anywhere in the de, in the notes of the debates or in the arguments. The um, the founding fathers, you know, they, they drafted Article three. They drafted the court system for review. Um, they there's nothing there's nothing there that says they intended for a state not to have the same review that the federal government has. So there's no constitutional basis for this. Um, in fact, it's unconstitutional because just the, the mere uh, the mere purpose of the entire constitutional uh, uh, entire drafting of the constitution was that there's three equal branches of government to create a democracy. <laughs> correct. And, and your court system is a check on the legislative and the executive branch to make sure that laws are followed. And each state is allowed to have their own constitution. The supremacy clause prevents the state from having uh, constitutional, uh, you know, amendments or or articles that um, run afoul of the federal constitution because the federal constitution is the supreme law of the land. But you can have better rights than the federal constitution. So I, I can't see how that. I, I mean, I you know, I, hey, like Justice Thomas and Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Alito might find a way, but I can't. I, I don't think there's a leg to stand on in that case. Well, um, I appreciate you sharing that from your, you know, um, ex you know, expert, uh, you know, educational, uh, you know, background. Uh, but it's still scary that it's there, you know. So I, I would love it if you could just kind of keep us abreast of that, as I know you do with other things, because it, it concerns me as well as the other one that's, you know, uh, trying to decide, you know, like how how black is 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 too black, or you know how how do you define black? Um, how's that case going? <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about, Mark. Oh yeah, um, th that's not set for oral arguments yet. It, it's still it's not uh, it's not ripe yet. Um, I, I'll I'll look into it uh, and report back. All right, I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. And so we're going to pick up with hands. And um, Black Stem was up and she may not be able to speak now, but if you do come back up and you would like to join in, I will move you ahead of cue because you would have been next. But I will go to the next person who is here on the stage and that is Madeline and then Johnny and Graham. And as I said, I would like to invite anyone else, uh, else who is, is listening in the gallery up to join us in the conversation. And as I said today, it's kind of been kind of an educational layout, but we also want to have uh, room and space to talk about how these things um, affect us now in the current day. And that's why I'm having the conversation because it 
is absolutely, it's not just a history lesson. It's a history lesson because it's happening in the present too. And you know that saying, if you don't learn from your past, you're doomed to repeat it. And they think that we haven't learned, we know, and they're trying to prevent us from, you know, keeping that learning going by, you know, making changes to our history books and erasing that um, and hoping that it will be forgotten. But that's why we're gonna keep having these conversations. So it's not forgotten, we know, what was done in the past, how it was done, and we are able to make direct connection to what is going on today and how it is being done so that we can find some solutions. So I just want to thank you guys for being here. And up next, we've got Madeline. Hey, guys. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, great. Um, hi, everybody. Um, I just wanted to kind of chime in and give a little bit of intersectionality when we're talking about voter suppression and the groups that it affects. Um, as your, you know, friendly neighborhood disabled woman, I have to come in and chime for my people. Um, obviously, SB202, as we see in Georgia, has catastrophically affected the disabled community in this state. Um, it was obviously seen in the uh, complaint that was filed that SB 202 actually directly violates the Americans with Disabilities Act um, and why that's important, especially when we're talking about um, lenses of race and different ethnicities, is that our largest racial demographic inside the disabled community is actually Native American men. Um, and our disabled population in America has actually grown in the past year. We are now 26% of the U.S. population, which is about one in four of us, and one in four women also have uh disabilities. So when we talk about voter suppression, you know, when we do talk about the lens of race, it's also very important to remember that not only are people being targeted because of their race, but also because of their ability and the the group inside those communities of African-American and Native American men, they are getting the shortest end of the stick in every situation. Um, and, you know, we could talk about disabled voter suppression all day, mainly in this state with SB202 that looks like not being able to give food or water to somebody in line. Um, signature matching uh, is difficult for many types of different disabilities, including my own. I'm visually impaired. It is impossible for me to match signatures. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we had that that frame because the disabled community often gets left out um, of conversations like this. So I wanted to make sure that we touched on that today. But thank you so much for bringing me up, Dee. Well, thank you. And like I said, we want to address all marginalized people, anyone whose political power and voice is being silenced and taken away. That's what we're talking about. So thank you for bringing our attention to uh, how that is being done to the disabled community and the statistics and, you know, the dynamics that make up that community. So thank you so very much. I appreciate you coming up and sharing that and joining in our conversation today. So up next, we've got Johnny and then Graham and then Q. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, there's a, I just want to, um, there's some accounts on Twitter that are like saying, oh, Democrats have a clear path to the House, like accounts like Erica Marsh. And just be aware of those uh, these bot accounts, you know. That's all I got to say. Okay. Well, thank you. I think that, you know, here in the community, we're always looking out for 
those that are spreading misinformation or disinformation. So thank you for putting that on our radar. And thanks for coming and joining our conversation today. So up next, we've got Graham and then Q. And Mark, I have a question for you. Could you, uh, from someone in the audience, could you please check your DM? Yes. Graham, you're up next. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome back, Dee. Uh, thanks uh, for the space, uh, Eugene and Dee. Um, I love this uh, new focused uh, discussion. And um, I put a link up in the nest because we are talking about voter suppression. And this was um, a, a voter suppression in Canada in 2011 um, that may or may not have been associated to some or other people that Dee, you mentioned in your list of chaos agents in in America. So uh, one of the things is disinformation and this uh, voter suppression effort uh, was uh, basically like robocalls. And um, also they got phone calls. They actually hired like hostile uh, liberal impersonators to insult uh, liberal supporters. So they'd actually figure out where liberals, and, and there was like, data stolen of of uh, security, you know, of lists of people. And that was used to suppress the vote. Um, and um, it's just this is just another dimension uh, to the to the voter suppression. So just like the bots, right? Another form of disinformation. Um, so any information that is presented to a potential voter before the election that may uh, discourage them from voting is a form of voter suppression. So I thought I'd throw that up there uh, for you. And uh, you could probably guess who did it, D, but <laughs> I'm not going to say it in a recorded space. Uh, so thank you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yes. And uh, I love that people are enjoying that we're having focused conversation. And like I said, it doesn't, you know, it's still as open as always. But as I said, there are some voices that can speak to certain matters more in depth uh, from their their training, their education, their lived experience than others. And when that opportunity arises, I, I like to have those voices in the conversation. But as always, we welcome all new voices. I appreciate you guys being here. I'm here on Mondays only now, but you know, I will pop in to listen. I always re-listen to the space, but we're here every day, Monday through Friday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. And Eugene is being, um, I'm lining him up with some wonderful guest um, co-hosts. So the conversations will continue. Those of you who have been coming, um, you know that those conversations um, can be focused around many things, but ultimately around how they are affecting our democracy because it's, it's, um, it's in peril and it's our job. It's up to us, you know, to fix it. So I just thank you guys for being here because it's not, you know, it's not a one and done. Like we, we got this election behind us. We're, there are going to be some elections next year and then we're going to have 2024. But I want to get people like I want to start exercising or building our civic 
muscles. We need a community. We need citizens who are civically informed and engaged because that is how we start to overcome and fight back against some of these things. And I just appreciate you guys being, you know, such a wonderful part of that. So with that being said, I'm going to go next to Q. So glad he was able to come up um, and join us. And if Marcus had an opportunity to review his question, I'm going to let him address that. And again, invite any other new voices up. Of course, our focus is around voter suppression because it is such um, a critical part of, of what's happening um, to in our democracy. But any other issues that are currently going on, uh, we know that there is a runoff that we need to give a lot of focus and attention to. Uh, we're open to discuss that and, and just so many other things that are going on. And I count on you guys being uh, the citizen reporters from your various areas of the country to tell us what is going on there, what is on your heart, um, so that we have an understanding of things that are going on all over our country, because sometimes we can become a little myopic. But I think we can all um, know for sure now that even though something may be happening in Florida, just because it's happening there doesn't mean we can't ignore it, because oftentimes various different states are little petri dishes for their strategies. And once they have success in one area, they just continue to, you know, rinse and repeat, you know, and duplicate it. So that's why we're here to bring awareness and focus to wherever it's happening um, so that we understand, you know, where they're working and how they're working. And these local levels um, is where they're focused now. That's how they won so many um seats in, in 2010, and they've only continued uh, and refined that effort. So with that being said, um, Q um, and then Mark. Good afternoon. Uh, hope everyone is having a good Monday. Um, not much. Um, I really appreciate the discussion, the focused discussion on voter suppression that's happening. Um, while I, you know, there really needs to be efforts to, because I, I really think that people, people hear, a lot of people hear the term voter suppression, but don't necessarily understand all of the intricacies that go into it um, and how important it is, uh, you know, to have like civil rights lawyers. Because like, for instance, one of the places that I donate to uh, is Democracy Docket. Um, that is important. We need these people to be able to take on these cases, to fight these legislatures um, in terms of their voter suppression tactics. I believe that more voter suppression is obviously coming as a result of, you know, the midterms, um, particularly, you know, with the youth vote. Trust me, they're going to be they're, they're always finding ways. And you're exactly to... right. And that is why we're having this conversation, because every time they don't do as well as they thought they would or they don't win, they just figure out other nefarious ways to change it the next time. Right. And so it's coming. And, you know, it's it's really the, 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 the focal point of the 2016 race that just really pissed me off, um, where certain people wanted to argue over oh, the DNC rigged it for Hillary, or Hillary said super predator 20 effing years ago. Like, can you please keep your eyes on the prize? Because the things that you all 
claim that you want to have is going to be a lot harder if that man gets in and uh, reshapes the Supreme Court, uh, and which is exactly what he did. So the whole link between voter suppression and the courts, which is, you know, I was so happy uh, in terms of us winning the Senate, like people need to understand more. Like if I would say like there's a singular focus that I have as a voter, if I had to pick one, it would be the courts. Like that's how focused a lot of times I am on the courts because there's so much influence that the courts have on our daily lives, on us getting the things, getting us closer to the things that we want and preventing us from getting closer to the things that we want and, you know, continuing to strip democracy away so conversations focused conversations you know with you know real facts and and the history of it um yeah i really appreciate conversations like this because again like i said i mean even just having discussion with some of my like younger relatives i was like okay y'all need a history lesson because you clearly don't understand like they hear voter suppression and they think oh well you know they just want us to get voter ID. You know, they just need us to get ID. What's wrong with that? And I'm like, oh, Jesus. And, it's like, know, boy, we have so much work to okay. do. Okay. Like, <laughs> I was like, all right. I was like, okay, y'all got to sit down. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that, which is okay. You know, the little youngins and whatnot. You know, that's why I take that opportunity to teach and not, you know, call them dumbasses. Um, they're just ignorant, which, you know, it, it took me time um, to really be able, you know, to, to well, not really time. I was always an avid, interested in the law, interested in history. You know, I was very, you know, I was very close with the elders in my family. So I appreciated like knowing about that history. Like my uncle marched with Dr. King, who was very heavily involved in the civil rights movement. And, you know, I a lot of times and I tell these youngins, I'm like, particularly my younger relatives, I'm like, you know, have you know, talk to them, understand what they went through. That's why it gives me more an appreciation. Like when I voted for Obama and I sobbed in my car for 15 minutes after I left the voting booth, it wasn't for Obama. It was for my great aunts and my relatives who never thought that they would live to see that day. That's who I was emotional for because they went through the shit, which is why I make sure that I vote because I have no matter what I have to do, I vote because it not only is it my civic duty, but people gave up so much literal blood and, you know, sweat and tears so that I could have the ability to be able to vote. So it's something that I take very seriously. But yeah, with progress is always going to come setback. And because the Republicans are always thinking long game, um, we have to get prepared. These conversations, what can be done in individual states, is already going to be challenging certain things in Georgia, in North Carolina. So continuing conversations on voter suppression, I think, is in spaces like this to keep people informed. And, and yeah, I encourage anyone who can to read the democracy docket um, because it takes a lot to be able to do these spaces. You've got to travel, 
and you know, all these cases is very important. So great you, discussion your today. Is, uh oh, can you hear me? I can now. Yeah, it was like when I opened minds too. Yours got less. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Less, uh, uh, so yeah, so but, great discussion. Yeah, but, great discussion. Thank you so much. And yeah, I mean, like I said yesterday in another space, we take a you know a little breath, but we roll up our sleeves and get right back to it because we are far from where we need to be. Amen to that. Thank you so much. Um, all valid points, and thank you for coming in and joining in what I think has been you know just a dynamic conversation, which we're going to keep rolling. And I have been assured via the DMs that. Khalil is going to come and add layers to this conversation. I can't wait um, for that. So um, he will be here uh, wrapping up some in real life things. Um, but up next, we have Tip, who I'm glad has taken a moment out of her day to come up and join us. Want to hear from her. Um, any updates that she has. Uh, we're always um, eager to learn. And then Danny, Allie, and Dr. Marshall. Hola, Dee. Hi, everyone. Um, Hola. Oh, nice to hear your voice. Um, it's been a week or so since we've heard it, so nice to hear it. Um, let's see, where do we want to begin? So, as far as updates are concerned, let's just say it is, like, status quo right now until we get some updates from Arizona later this evening. Usually, they come around 9 o'clock in the evening, sometimes a little bit earlier. There is still a lot of votes to be counted in Arizona. Look like there's about 196,000 overall. Most of it is in Maricopa County. So we will hear something this evening. We're hoping to get that like a good batch of of votes this evening. Um, and we'll see how it goes. I don't know what's going to happen. I think we all are anxious to hear about probably Katie Hobbs more so than the House. I mean, the House is not going to get settled until California start finishes counting and I don't think they finish will finish until or at least release like majority of the numbers until probably Wednesday or Thursday they have the fifth to the fifteenth that people had to have you know get the ballots in. So probably we'll expect something Wednesday or Thursday. California's gonna determine the trajectory of how this goes. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um we need to win all of those remaining races and I've been putting out updates every evening just to kind of give everybody, you know, heads up on where we are and we'll see how it goes. And don't don't rest everything on Lauren Bobert and and the, and the Adam guy um because, you know, that that one may may not settle settle it if whatever happens in Cal California maybe just maybe fingers crossed something happens but Arizona tonight will kind of tell us where we are in terms of the two races that are still outstanding there some have called it some haven't called it um, people are just kind of waiting to see what the vote vote totals look like Jevin Hodge has a good chance he's only down by 894 votes but it's Arizona and who knows what they're what they're going to do um, in terms of you know voting. So I think it's just a, a wait and see process. Don't don't fret over it. Don't stress yourself out over the house. You know, at the end of the day, we know that we have good leadership there in, ter in terms of Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and with Clyburn. So we will see you know how it all goes. I'm I am far from word i'm just happy that they didn't get their red wave and they can shut up now 
So now they're now they're in panic mode. So as you can see, Republicans are in panic mode, and that brings me joy um, to have to see them realize that they have to actually that they will have to try to govern now, which again is something that their constituents are going to put pressure on them to get stuff done, and they need the Senate, which we obviously won on on Saturday to be able to to do that. So there is going to have to be compromise. And I know Reginald talked about, you know, be, you know, fighting and trying to make sure what we remember, we only had a 50-50 Senate before. If we have 51, we have a better chance of negotiating things. We don't have to, we don't, we don't have a 50, we don't have a 50-50 split and, and committees. Things can get out faster. Um, and we will have to comp, we will have to work with Republicans but just remember this, when you think about the House and the Senate and how it was prior and, and Trump was in office in, tw in 2020 when we had a pandemic and remember who were the power brokers in getting things done. We got the CARES Act done because of Nancy Pelosi. We got it done because of Schumer. We got it done because of actually Joe Manchin. We had to compromise and we but we still were able to get things done. So all is not lost just because we were to lose the house we still would have you know the senate and we still would have the president and republicans cannot sit on their tails for the next two years and deliver nothing for their constituents so they will have no choice but to work with us and it's going to be a ride so just prepare yourself for what will happen i really i mean if i'm I'm not a guessing person, but the numbers are the numbers and it's going to be really hard for us to win the house. So just, I say I'm preparing myself for the fact that they will, that they will take over and they will have a nightmare situation on their hands because I don't even know who they are going to pick as their speaker. I don't think they're all going to come together to pick a speaker. So this whole question about, you know, I know you guys talk about voter suppression and things like that. They can't, they can't cry that things didn't work out in their favor. They actually won. If they win, they actually would have won the majority of the of the house races. So they can't cry foul about about it. I mean, they they built the map to be able to win win. They just didn't win in the way that they wanted to win. But they still rigged the system, gerrymandering wise, to be able to win the game. Florida and Texas specifically and you know Mississippi they they and Louisiana they rigged the system where they could in those red states so even in Ohio North Carolina to be able you know North Carolina they actually won we actually won a case thank thank goodness PA like there's a bunch of states that we actually won so thank you to Mark Elias for helping us to win a lot of those states to be able to kind of get back our seats um, especially in like North Carolina because they that map was jacked up Ohio was jacked up and they went in there and they they fought they fought it in court. So our courts are still holding, even though it seems like sometimes it doesn't. But I don't know how much voter suppression they're going to continue to do when there is in, in the red states, they're going to continue it. That is without a doubt. But in other states, I think there's going to be a backlash and they know that that backlash is going to come if they continue to, to act this way. Arizona basically rebel michigan rebel wisconsin rebelled against their foolishness and they and hopefully in arizona we get a we got a, i mean we got secretary of state we got an ag i mean we there are there 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 are there are voters telling these people 
we don't want what you're selling to us. And we as and as the voters, that is our job to tell people what we want and what we don't want. Does it work all the time? No. In Florida, the voters, the voters can only speak, the Democratic voters can only speak for, for so much if other people don't come out and vote to help them. So we have a lot of work to do in Florida and Ron DeSantis is definitely not going to stop his foolishness. This is who he is. He's an authoritarian and we have to be able to put that in check. And I don't, I don't know the solution to putting Ron, a Ron DeSantis in check or a Greg Abbott. I mean, these people have trifectas that they can basically pass whatever they want. And so it's going to take years and years and years to build a democratic party um, in the state to be able to change how people think and how people vote and how, you know, minds can be changed to see that these people are, do not have their best interests at heart. Um, Louisiana, I know one, is one of those states where people just don't really vote that much. I know Natalie has talked about in Arkansas, people don't really vote. We really, and uh, there, is there various reasons why people don't vote? Of course, you know, one of them in Florida could be, you know, fear. Some of it is apathy. We have a lot, a lot of work to do. So as you said, D, the work, the, the work doesn't end because of one election. It continues and continues and continues. And we have to look at, you know, where, where did we fall? Where did we fall? And that's what it, that is for the DNC to do to figure out, not for us. I mean, we can we can talk about it, but it's really for the DNC to go and look at, OK, where did we lose and where do we have potential? I know they want to do this. You know, they're going back to doing the 50 state, you know, plan and all this other stuff. Great. That sounds good. But where are you going to put your investments? Because you have to invest in people. And when I say people, I mean voters. Like, you have to invest in them. You can't expect them to just, you can't show up a month before and be like, hey, it, guys, vote. It has to be a constant thing. Just exactly. like us getting voters uh, informed on a constant basis, their engagement with them has to be constant. It can't Absolutely. be, um, like, infrequent transactional kind of, you exactly. know. Yeah, interactions. Yeah, I mean, we we're seeing where we are seeing progress. I I think I think this is the thing that drives me crazy. People who don't want, they want don't they, especially people who don't vote who are apathetic. They don't they claim to not see progress. But I have seen progress. I have Michigan. Michigan is the is like the poster child for progress, right? Arizona is a poster child for progress. Even 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 Georgia. I mean, granted, Stacey didn't win, but Warnock and what they accomplished in 2020 is progress. So yeah, you're you're not gonna get all the gains that you want in one setting. I mean, in some states things are going a little bit backwards, right? You have New York, but where we lost four, where we've got the governorship, but we lost five now um, con congressional seats. And the question is, why? How did that happen? There has to be some kind of, you know, a, a conversation. And I know we and Gichi and all, a lot of us have been talking about, like, how do we fix this? And one of those things to fix it is the party chair, because you can't have a party chair who does not understand the state or doesn't care about the state. Because there was a referendum on the ballot in New York in 20, I think it was 2020, to have an independent commission and it was rejected and they invested zero money, the state party, to try to get people to agree to it. And so what happens, they build, they create this map, it, it gets passed, 
and then it gets thrown out in court. And now you have some random special master dude coming in and redrawing the entire map, changing the primary. So it went from, from July to August, gave people not very much time to be able to, you know, to decide who they want to vote for. And this is, and, and, and Florida is slick. I'm going to put it like this. Florida is slick because they had their primary super duper late and so did Wisconsin, right? And so we have to be really careful when we're having these these like kind of primaries where there's a, where they're really really late and then trying to have these like contested primaries. Because one of the things that people are not talking about is in 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 Wisconsin granted, Manzella Barnes, he had his own issues, but he had to fight until August and with his money against other people in that race. Had that had that race been you know, a primary that happened in June, like in other states, he would have had more time. You would think that he would have more time to be able to campaign and do what he needed to do, not fighting a primary. So there are there are multiple issues that we need to assess and figure out. But the voter suppression part of it sometimes comes from our own people where we are we are we're, we're allowing people to, like you said, not be civically engaged. We don't court them. We don't give them the information. And then we expect them to show up. That is not fair. I don't think that's fair. I've, we've, since the, I can tell you from the last election, with the same way how we're doing right now is the same way that me and Geechee and many of us were like, okay, how do we win 2022? And I know I saw a lot of people yesterday talking about how do we win 2024? Like people are excited and they want to keep the momentum going because winning is contagious. That's how I look at it. winning is if you keep on winning, you want to win more. You don't want to win less. So we need to pe- keep people engaged and motivated. And it's the same thing I say about the, the kids, right? We we want them to continue to show up. So stop talking negative about them. We have to stop doing that. We will suppress our own vote by by saying negative things about the children. Now, the facts are the facts, right? Black and Latino, you know, 18 to 30 year olds showed up more than the white kids. Okay, we get it. They probably outnumber us anyway. We got to get those those white kids to get to the ballot. How do we do that? We know how we can influence them. We have TikTok. We have other things. So we have to figure out how to influence those people with our message. We're, we have influenced the young kids to be able to show up and do what they need to do. The same way our our gener- our older generations did the same thing for us. Because we wouldn't know about voting unless our, our, our elders were the ones taking us to the polls and trying to, con- and, you know, showing us the importance of voting. We have to do the same thing for these kids. Right. They're not going to just know it on their own. They don't even get civics in school. Let's be real. They barely get civics in school. So that's we have why to we're here one. talking all the time. <laughs> yeah, we have to be the ones to be the ones to teach them. Like, this is what happens when you actually vote. There's a there's a cause and an effect. And uh, and we ha- so, so com- complaining about them. And like I said, shitting on them. And just kind of like saying, well, you didn't vote as much as you. Sh-. OK, that's fine. We have to get more. We're not less. So we have to, we we all have to do our job, and like I said, sometimes our sometimes our suppression comes from within, not necessarily the forces that be. We have enough people fighting us to not be able to vote. We should not be fighting with one another in terms of not being able to go out and vote. So I'll land there, but I just want to make that point because I think we as as messengers we can do better to convince more people to vote, not less. 
Thank you so much, Tiff. And, and it, it's a great segue. Um, wonderful information, as always, that you bring. But, you know, thanks to Dr. Marshall, I watched that interview with Dr. Bernice King. And what you were saying reminded me of some of the things that, you know, she said. And it's like we have to begin with the end in mind. And, and, and that is like, you know, building this, you know, she speaks of it in terms of a beloved community. And for me, that beloved community it is a, a, a healthy, thriving democracy that works for everyone equally. And and you're talking about, you know, not bashing the kids. She talked about, you know, building coalitions and you can see the work that um, took place during um, the civil rights movement was about coalition building. And it's not about bringing everyone on board or getting everyone to gr to agree but it's about getting a critical mass enough people to move the needle so i just thank you again for you know what you shared and you know the reminders that you brought and we just there are many areas for us to work in and we're going to just you know you work in the area that you feel that you know you can contribute the most and i thank you for all the work um, that you do and i know you're like Many others are not going to stop. So again, I just appreciate you so much and thank you for taking time out of your day to come and share those updates with us and just very salient um, points about um, our our attitudes and things we need to look at in you know, our continuing fight um, going forward in elections and ultimately uh, securing our democracy and having one that is truly representative of you know, the population of this country, of us. So thanks again, Tiff. I love you. And um, up next, we've got Danny and then um, Dr. Uh, Danny, Ali, Dr. Marshall, and Geechee. And we'll pick up from there. I'm so glad that you guys are here and, um, you know, just participating and contributing to what I think is a very needful um, and wonderful conversation and your contributions are absolutely making that so. So thanks again. Appreciate you guys. Danny, you're up. Yes. Thank you, Ms. D, for having this space. And um, I'm actually going to just piggyback a lot on what Tiff just said. Um, yes, the young kids, uh, the young voters, they did come out. And kudos to them. And kudos to the parents that got them out to vote, right? That reminded them to vote. That showed that, uh, the importance of voting. But I do think that one area that Democrats can work better on, and just from my state of Florida, so we know that um, in Florida, there are large uh, communities of immigrants, right? Whether it's the white Cubans, Venezuela, um, uh, Argentina, Colombian, but also Haitian. And if the young people are not properly being taught civics in America right now, right? And they go to school here. Adult immigrants that migrate over, they go through the process, they become citizens where they can vote. They are also at a disadvantage. One, a language barrier, but also do they fully understand how our government works? I remember the first time my mom voted. Um, she said, I already voted. But then they had to explain to her, no, you voted in the primary. Now this is the general election. And I don't think that we do a good enough job of explaining. You, you just can't say vote Democrat, you know, down the ballot. Explain to them why they're voting. Because Democrats are about these 
uh, different areas. You know, they want to lower the cost of healthcare. They want to help you and your family have better access uh, to everything, pretty much, right? <laughs> uh, healthcare, um, education, better jobs, um, higher paying jobs. So I think that we would do better, especially in these immigrant communities, if we explain the voting process. I was in high school before I found out about uh, rank voting in New York. That's how long it took for me to know, um, to learn about it, because they damn sure didn't teach it to me when I was doing social studies. And that's what it was called when I was in elementary school. It was not even called civics. They changed it, apparently, after I left. Um Another form of voter suppression, especially in the state of Florida. So, of course, you know, it changes. It's no longer, you know, count the jelly beans in a jar. Um, I know Shauna also mentioned this about the uh, young men uh, that were um, convicted felons. They served their times. They were giving voting ID cards by the state. They were approved and to then have that experience of being arrested again. And it was sending a message that that's intimidation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going to happen to you. And not only the intimidation, but again, I keep talking about it because I think it's so important. It could really change elections, especially here in the state of Florida. And if your states are going to go the way Florida goes, it's important that we shine a light on it. Um, so in 2018, Florida had the opportunity to restore voting rights to uh, previously convicted felons. Um, it needed, you know, a supermajority, 60 percent or above for it to pass. That was on the ballot in 2018 and it passed by almost 65 percent. Um, Ron DeSantis also was on that ballot and he won that race. And um as he was coming into power in January of 2019, that amendment was supposed to go into effect in January 19, um, 2019. And he decided that he was going to take his Republican legislature and he told them, bring me a bill so I could sign it into law that would put a poll tax on these convicted felons. The state of Florida, the voters had already decided that we were going to give them their rights back. They had paid their debt to society. And that would affect 1.4. Some models showed 1.5 million voters. Now, obviously, not all 1.4 or 1.5 would be Democrat or would even exercise their right to vote. But that's a lot. That's more than some states have, entire population, right? Um he put that in and uh, a gentleman in Miami, I want to say his name is Desmond Mead. He took it to court. And four years later, more than four years later, that case is still pending in Florida Supreme Court. That is another form of voter suppression. Because now you have 1.4 million people still not able to exercise their right. After Florida voters finally got something right, finally decided that, yes, they should, they paid their debt to society. And he decided to put a poll tax on them. You have to pay all your restitution. You have to pay all your court fees, all your legal fees before we're going to grant you this right. 
And from my understanding, the gentleman um, that was arrested in Tampa uh, about three weeks ago that we all saw, he was one of those men. And so he was given the right supervisor of election gave him, they mailed it out to him. Yeah, you're good. The police officers who were arresting him, we've never seen anything like this. We're not even sure what to do with this. That's another form of voter suppression. Um, I don't know what the easy answer or what the answer is to that. I would hope that they file charges, that they um, sue Ron DeSantis. So what? <laughs> if, for, you know, just... Just go ahead and do it. Someone needs to send him a message because clearly he's operating in a level of no fear. And I think that's what makes him so dangerous. And again, he has, for another four years, everything at his disposal. Nobody's going to question him. And that is the problem. And if again, if it could happen in Florida, it can happen in certain other areas as well. So I'll probably be looking at, will Texas try this? Will Tennessee try this? Will Wisconsin try this? Because Wisconsin have the Republican uh, courts that they want in that state now. Um, it's something that we should all be aware of and make sure that we shine a light so that they don't get away with this. And unfortunately, in the state of Florida, he was able to. He had the numbers, he had the power, and nobody really pushed back on him until it was too late. Um there are other forms of voter suppression. We know this. This just seems to be a running theme with that party. Um, if And it's not even, and this is what I don't understand, because instead of, I don't know, change your messaging, do more outreach that people would want to vote Republican, you'd rather uh, limit who gets to vote. I mean, you will get more done you will get your agenda done if you just accepted more minorities in your party but it will piss off the racist so you can't do that and so to keep them happy you'd rather do all this extra stuff to make sure that you stay in power you could stay in power if you just um, adopted a lot of the policies that we wanted but I guess that's a no I guess that's just something I guess it's just too much to ask and so this is where we are. They're just going to continue to uh, to suppress the vote. And I'm, I can understand that it's tiring. And, you know, for the most part, they get away with it in red states or states that, you know, are a little bit purple, but tends to lean more red. Um, and I feel for the state of New York, because I'm sure they did not want all those seats going to Republicans, obviously. And what is that going to mean um, when it comes to the House, but what it comes down to policy in the state of New York now? What bills can they pass that's going to affect those communities up there? Um, so it's a lot. <laughs> um, I don't want to bring anybody down, but I think that we should, you know, look at things in a pragmatic way. But it's also a reason why you continue to fight for it. Um Absolutely. And that I, yeah. I appreciate you pointing those things out because that's why we're having this conversation. You know, it's not just to give you a history lesson, but we're trying to give you, you know, a present day accounting of how it's still happening and what that looks like at, at this particular time. And uh, so I appreciate that. And also the fact that, 
you know, you talked about like the the voters of Florida said, yes, we think that, you know, it's time for felons rights to be restored. And DeSantis decided ah, not so fast. And, um, you know, I'm going to find a link for it. But Tennessee and I think Louisiana and perhaps Florida, I, I, I'll check my stats, my, my receipts. But those are, are, I know Tennessee is like number one of the states. The way that they disenfranchise or suppress votes is through criminalizing people. Okay, so that is another form of voter suppression. And we need to talk to people because there are laws here in Tennessee, and I think probably other states as well, how some of them can get them restored just by going through, you know, a formal process. And that, again, is part of our educating, you know, like voter registration and education and civic involvement for those who can and to, you know, push for changes and legislation uh, for, you know, some who may be hampered in other ways to um, get them back. Because, you know, it's no accident. It's not missed on me and I'm sure other people. But yeah, Tennessee um, has one uh, the largest um, number of felons unable to vote, the largest number of people, okay, criminalized from voting. Tennessee also happens to be um, home to one of the top three private prisons, okay? <laughs> so this is how it works, and we need to connect these dots and help people to understand. Again, it's it's by design, and um, that's another conversation I have on the agenda for you know the next month um, down the road. So so great, both um, uh, to all the people who have contributed to this conversation today. And uh, Danny, if you're finished, uh, I'm going to go next to Ali, Dr. Marshall, Geechee, and then I'll pick up from there. Thanks, you guys. Um, I saw Shauna came up, and I was looking for you, Shauna. Are you? Are do you oh, have a minute? Are you at work, Shauna? Allie, please. Did you oh, have something you want to contribute? <laughs> I do. I do. I just had wanted to ask her because it was something we had talked about together. So I didn't mean to change your order. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I, I in talking about suppression, I was just um, and a couple of you had were with me in another space, I think it was Charles space when we were talking about the Uvalde situation about how Uvalde voted. Um, and um, I uh, hadn't heard the, you know, the, that it went so wildly for, for Abbott until I was in that space and Bobby announced the figures and I was just shocked and spent about, I've spent two or three hours now doing a kind of a deep dive into research into um, Uvalde and why that would happen. Um and um, part of the reason I've done that is that when I, my first years just out of university, I was working in, in rural Colorado with, with Latino, Mexican-American uh, folk who were basically working in agricultural jobs and in processing factories, plants and stuff like that. So either in the fields or processing um, food or poultry or cattle, different things. Same makeup as the population, the Latino population around Uvalde. And I looked at both the city and the county. Um, I looked at how many people are voting age 
Hispanic, how many Latinos are voting age in Uvalde? And um, the population in total is somewhere between 80 and 90 percent. It's listed as Latino, 80 to 90 percent. Um, and but the age group of how many people, how many Hispanics could actually vote is about 10,000 people. Exactly. And um, I looked at the votes and it turned out that there were uh, 4,000 votes for Beto and 6,000 votes for Abbott in the city of Ivaldi. So they, Abbott won. But then the question was, why were there so, why, why would that happen in a, in a town, of course, where there's just, where there's eight, between 89% people are, are Latino and they just had a, a, a horrific school shooting. And I remember you guys I don't know if you remember, but I remember the parents who were running in from the fields, coming in from their jobs at those packing plants and on those fields to get in and try and rescue their kids. They were coming in from those agricultural settings where they were working. And it does, of course, it doesn't make any sense. Um, And so what I looked at then, I was trying to see, are there articles being written on this? Are people really looking into this? Why did this vote happen this way? does not make any sense because Beto was very appreciated when he went there. There was a, there was great appreciation for people who, and there was great rejection of Abbott by the families and other people in the community. Um, and so I was trying to look into that. No articles, they, they're talking about, yeah, they vote, even Uvalde voted for Abbott, but then nobody's asking why. So as I looked through the research, it, it looks like there's this certain age group because the, the voters are actually uh, bulked together in that age group, which I know you guys use these terms all the time, but they don't use them over here, so I don't know them. Is it millennials who are around the 30 years old now or something, between 25 and 35 or something? Is that what you would call them? No? Um, okay. Um, I think they're in their mid-30s, so I'm, I'm not yeah. sure on all okay. the breakouts, yeah. Okay. Well, if we say like, if we look at the group that the highest number of possible voters were between like 25 and 30. Um, So they're older than that younger group of kids that we're talking about that came out in force. And there had, but there were studies that were available about that were done by Latino organizations on voter participation in Texas. And that age group is the most disenfranchised of all of the voters. So you had you had more participation from the younger voters than there's that uh, slice of, of folks that are just the next level up. And those would be the parents of those children who got shot. Um, and they were the ones, that's the biggest uh, little slice there of, of, of uh, voters, of Latino voters in Uvalde. Um, and so what that tells us is that they didn't come out. And I was looking at why, why didn't they come out? And what, the, what it shows is that they're in this general study of Latino voting patterns in Texas. It's disenfranchisement and it's institutional racism. And I had talked with Shauna a bit about it. Um, that's why I was asking about Shauna. I talked a bit with Henry and also with Fish. We were talking a bit about this age grouping. But um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a perfect place for somebody to do a deep dive and write a book about. Because if there was anywhere that you would think, uh, you know, and with that promise about the Abbott made about the guns and, you know, that was just immediately broken, a broken promise and all of that, it, it makes no sense. But 
what does make sense is if if you have people who are working at factories and in fields and the voting is only on one day and if they can get away or not and get there. Um, also, the, the marginalization that's been there for, you know, for decades already, these folks, attitude wise, before the shooting, there was a there was a general um, kind of attitude of it won't make any difference for my reality. For my family, it's not going to matter. Nothing's going to change. But it was also because of a, a whole, you know, these are the people that are most tied to hourly jobs. They don't they're not there. They don't get paid. And they have children to support. So they're not going to be able to take off and go stand in line for a long time in a one polling place in a small town, even if it's Uvalde, and take the whole afternoon off to go vote. So it, it, it looks like it's a, it's a mixture of systemic racism, marginalization, and also an outreach to that specific slice of the voters about why this is actually important. And, and you know, you want to call it apathy or you want to call it marginalization. I prefer to call it marginalization because, you know, people just that's where we get to the education piece of why this is so important, civics and different things. But Uvalde would be an, an excellent case for somebody to do a deep dive like book on, you know, what sociologically looking at it and the the voting why it worked out that way um but anyway i just wanted to say it, it looks like voter suppression to me in terms of uh the actual working conditions of those people that are the latino people that live in that town in the county so well thanks. certainly and and i mean not just the book but looking at it because this again um is why i'm having the conversation because people keep talking about you know the number of um um, the demographics of certain um, southern states, yet the representation from those states not matching. And this is just a perfect example. And right. a lot of the reasons that that happens is because of voter suppression and it takes many forms. And, and sometimes it's not real obvious. It's very insidious. And you talk about the times that they have um, the polls open, mm -hmm. the locations. I remember Texas being one of um, them after they struck down the Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, being one of those that closed, um, I don't know, um, how many hundreds of polling locations. And then here, right. just recently, what happened was that... Um, you know, they didn't necessarily close polling locations, but they had a lot of confusion in those locations. And I'm not so sure that it wasn't intentional. That's a way of suppressing votes. So it's, right. it's like a death by a thousand cuts or disenfranchisement right. by a thousand. And cuts. I remember and you had right that you had talked about that D that those that's also dynamic and other dynamics that happen in, in other states. And I, um, I mean, just to imagine what you, first of all, you'd have to have a car to get away from, from the, where you're working. A lot of people carpool um, when they're working in those jobs out in the fields, you'd have to be able to go in a group in a car to get away at the same time to get to a voting place, wherever that would be, which may be, you know, at least a half an hour, an hour away from your factory job or your field where you're working. And it just, I mean, of course, they're not going to, people are not going to be able to do it. They'll just not get there. A lot of people during the season, when they're working out in the fields, they live actually in quarters that are out by the fields. So they had maybe right. in Uvalde, Uvalde County, for example, yeah. but that doesn't mean they're right there by that courthouse or wherever the voting booth was. 
So right. thanks. Thanks. So thank much. you. Thank you so much. And we lost Geechee and I want to go to him because he was up next and um, he is one of the voices I asked to uh, specifically share um, in on this conversation. And I'm so glad for, you know, all of you have who have chimed in because it, it's an important conversation and we need to just continue to uh, examine it and see where it's happening, how it's happening and come up with some strategies to, um, you know, um, undo it and to minimize it. So Geechee, you're up next. Thank you so much. Thank you for having the space. Glad to see you on Mondays. Um, glad to see everybody in here. I've heard, listened so hard and learned a whole lot. To, hold on, my damn headphone just went out. <laughs> I've listened so hard and um, have learned a lot today. Um, I don't want to talk about voter suppression as much. Um, I, obviously, I know voter suppression exists and exists in many different forms. But there's another part of that, too, which is what voter suppression actually can get to a lot of times. And that's a voter apathy. That's our vote doesn't count. Our vote doesn't matter. We're so far behind that we can't do this. And a big part of that, at least when it comes to Democratic parties, are state parties. Um, our state parties and what happens on the ground matters a lot more about than what happens nationally, what happens um, with statewide candidates. You saw it in a lot of these states. And most of the states that Biden won, not sure about Georgia yet, but we are going to win the House vote in that state. The only state we're not sure about that yet is Georgia, but I'm pretty confident we're going to be there too. Which means all the House candidates combined, the Democratic vote there is higher than that we won the vote there. So in a state like Ohio, which we didn't do well in, the House candidates in Ohio ran better than the statewide candidate did. That's why the House candidates there were able to pick up seats there. And then a candidate that was in an uh, R plus a billion district, um, Marcy Kuptor, and I apologize if I get her, her last name wrong, was able to overperform her district by a ton. I think it's a, 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 D, a R plus 16 district, and she won it by like 14 points. So she was able to overperform in a way that Tim Ryan was not. And then we have states like Florida and Texas, where the House overall ballot did not do well, which really um, was foretelling to what happened with the statewide candidates there, because it's hard to outrun there if you're not doing well at the lower levels there. And we have to talk about fixing the state parties. The DNC doesn't have the power to make Arkansas vote. The DNC doesn't have the ability to make Florida or Texas or Mississippi or Alabama or Nevada vote. State parties matter. And part of the reason why the Nevada race was as close as it was is that their state party now is shit. Beforehand, it was it was in sync. The moment it was time to vote, it was like, hey, it's time to vote. Reach out to the previous volunteers. Hey, we're doing this as a giveaway to make sure that we get people out here. You could get everybody and their mama to come out and help in that damn state because they were coordinated. You were calling for CISELAC and CCM and for the local races. All of it was in the script. Now it is a bunch of disconjoined efforts with this group, this group, and this group, instead of the state party doing it all by themselves. And they let the Bernie wing take over, and they haven't shown that they're competent and able to do races. That also doesn't mean that the moderate or the conservative side of our party is great at it, because New York did a really good job to fuck us out of the House. And I'm, I talked talk about it earlier, uh, and I agree with Tim. Most likely we're going to lose the House by one to four seats. Um, that, again, one to four seats would be the a Herculean effort. It would be an effort that has only been done three times um, to lose the House by 10 seats 
and keep the Senate would only have been done t- uh, three times in our history. And that is an amazing effort by an amazing DCC chair that put money into races that many of us did not know were, were in play. Um, I didn't know Colorado three was in place. I wouldn't have spent money in Colorado three if I was in this position with knowing what I know, but obviously he knew more. And when he did that flex photo with Nancy Pelosi, where he had the, if you do process mapping, he had the seats that were there confirmed 200 and like 12 seats. And then a group of 10 seats at the top, which ones they were gunning for. And he also was shady because he put the 10 seats on the right that they, that pundits thought were in play that he knew were not in play. And all 10 of those seats have lost. Um, but on the top was Washington 3. On the top was Oregon 6. On the t- So it's all these seats that are like, were not supposed to be in play, but are in play. He had the, uh, and I think he may lose, Jevon Hodge race. I think it's Arizona 1. He had that race in play. And those are seats that I don't think many people that don't know what's going on, on the ground would have known, of, known that. Um, so I think that's really important. Now, voter apathy does not mean, because we're dealing with voter apathy, that does not mean fuck Florida, fuck Texas, fuck Arkansas. It does not mean that. It means that we have to start communicating with voters on that state and showing them that winning is possible, even if it's from the ground up, that getting your mayor elected matters or getting your city city council people elected matters. We have to start from the ground up there because not winning Florida and not putting Texas puts our party in jeopardy because these are states that demographically should be voting for our party. And them not doing that means that holding on to Michigan, Ohio, excuse me, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania is going to be like vital. And I don't know how long that's going to be able to happen because demographically those states are turning against our, our, our party instead of turning um, for them. So we can't give up on Florida. We can't give up on Texas. And then these other states that, demographically, mainly in the South and in the other parts of the Sun Belt, like Utah, Idaho, um, that will trend our way, Montana, and then in the South, like like Tennessee, South Carolina, Louisiana. We have to get these people to understand that voting matters, even if it is locally, because eventually the demographics are going to turn their way. And if they're not voting now, it's going to be hard to get them to vote in the future. And again, we had record youth turnout this time in a midterm that the democrat was in the office so our own party was in the office we had record turnout again and the record turnout didn't hit some of these states that we have to fix i don't know what's going on in arkansas i think it's a, a wonderful state but again the worst turnout in the country again we have to put resources to get these people to to invest in the process understand this process can change their life because even getting the areas in that state that should be voting for us demographically to vote more will eventually help the top of the ticket more. And I don't know what's happened there because at one time the Clintons used to be there. They used to be one of the top voting states in the country. I don't know what's happened over this span of time. Um, two other things. I posted up in the Jumbotron. Um, throughout this cycle, I kept a list of all the media narratives that the media said would cause Biden and Harris not to win. And I... Uh, had a list of about 43. I pared it down to 28. And then a couple of people uh, in Kim, I don't know if she's in here or not. She actually gave me a suggestion. She did some work and helped me out for once. So she gave me a couple other ones to add on there. But of all these things that the media over the last two years told us would sink Biden-Harris, the war in Afghanistan, how we withdrew from the war in Afghanistan, Kamala Harris's laugh, Kamala Harris having the nerve to have ovaries in the White House, um, 
Biden's age, um, not getting a Voting Rights Act would get us not elected because blacks then would assume that we would get voting rights from the GOP so we wouldn't vote. This is a bunch of nonsensical things that made absolutely no sense, but the media ran with them. Crime, this amazing crime wave that has swept the country was going to hurt us everywhere nationally. It only hurt us in one state because of a a dumbass governor and a a, a corrupt governor before, a dumbass mayor, excuse me, and a governor before that that was corrupt and, and put in these GOP judges that fucked up the map there. So all these different things that were supposed to hurt us that didn't actually hurt us in the end. So I think we should be happy about the fact that Biden and Harris and their media teams, and especially their political teams, stayed on task, stayed on message. Whatever data that they have, which is obviously better than any data we're looking at, told them that we had a chance here and they stayed on the abortion and the threat to democracy. And if you'll notice when Biden gave that speech, I believe the Thursday before the election, a lot of people in our party were, were screaming that the focus needs to be in the economy. I'm going to put my hand up. I was one of them. They was like, why are we not focusing on the economy? Obviously these people that, that believe on, on abortion and on the, um, sanctity of keeping this de- uh, democracy together are obviously going to vote for us. Obviously, they had data that I don't have access to that said, hey, this issue is ruling the day. And then when the exit polls come back, which are, of course, not accurate yet, they show that, hey, this is the issue that mattered for a lot of people. And they were right when a lot of us, including myself, were wrong. So I just want to commend them for that. And then my final, 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 final point. Please, 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 if you see a forecaster that put out a model that was wrong, please hold them accountable for being wrong. Make them explain why their model was wrong. There are really legitimate reasons why their models could be wrong. One, lack of polling from a lot of good pollsters. I didn't thread on that. There's about nine to 15 pollsters that are really good pollsters that decided to sit out this primary. If I was a pollster, I probably would have done the same thing, too, because there was so much chaos. Secondly, the GOP flooding of polls of low quality, low quality polls at the end to make it seem as if their candidates were blowing away the field. You have to include those if a model if you're including all models and not screaming um, polls based on their lean, on their quality or their previous record. Three, um, that there were few polls in the field for these races. This is the least amount of polls I've seen in most of these races ever. For example, Washington 3 had one poll conducted this entire cycle after Labor Day. That's all you can go on. They had a scandal that broke in Washington 3 in the last, and the Thursday before the last weekend, I guess the Thursday of the last weekend of the race. Their candidate was exposed for doing an event at 99 Saloon, which is a, uh, a bar in in Western Washington, but it's a white supremacist neo-Nazi bar. The campaign, the winning campaign, the Democratic one, sent flyers to voters they identified that were Republican but would have issues with white supremacy. And that appears to be the margin that you want. Most forecasters wouldn't have it. I don't think the national media knew that. I didn't know that. How do I know that? Because the one young woman that lives in the state of Washington said there were other issues on the ground. People need to look at the issues on the ground. And so I looked, used the Google machine, looked at local papers in the area and saw, oh, the 99, what is the 99 saloon? I don't know what the 99 saloon is and looked it up. And not only was he previously there, he did an event earlier the week before 
at the 99 Saloon, which, again, white supremacist, neo-Nazi, probably not good. But a forecaster doesn't have a way of building that in their model. And then there are two things. And I actually want to give credit to two people that are in this collective, um, my good sis, Tiff, and then my, um, my little brother, um, Tony, um, but also to two polling houses that got this right. CBS YouGov did a, not just a prediction, they did a range of outcomes that would happen if certain demographics came out and voted and certain different. And the biggest demographic poll that they showed that would change the outcome of what happened in this election is if youth voters voted comparably to how they voted in 2018 and 2020. That showed them winning the, um, the Senate by one seat and winning the House by having a range of winning the House from the Democrats plus three seats to the Republicans plus five. And that seems to be super accurate. And um, Logan, I don't remember Logan's last name off the top of my head, is he does Race to the White House. He also did, and he had an open session where he asked, like, if there are issues with my my model, what would it be? And I asked him an open question. If Democrats were to win the Senate or, and close in the House, what would be the issue? And he said the two things, and I give him credit for that. One, there would be a huge gender participation gap disparity, which means that women would outvote men by a lot. Right now in exit polls, and they're going to change, when that gap is actually closed. So that is not it. The other one is the youth vote. There was not a poll in the field that had youth vote above 16%. It's going to be most likely closer to double that. And when that happens, you have all these people that are voting, and then youth voters, when they vote, just like when black voters vote, we gain more votes from them voting than we do any other age group that wins because we lost voters that are 45 and over in almost every poll that I've seen, almost every exit poll I've seen so far, and there are three companies that do that. So all of them have us losing voters 45 and older. We barely won voters 30 to 44. I think we won them like three to five points. And we won youth voters going away by like 30 points. And the almost break even on the other ones means that we're like losing smaller amounts of votes when we lose, but we're gaining more votes from a youth person voting than a person that's 65 and older voting or a person that's 44 voting because the gap that they participate, excuse me, the gap in which they vote for Democrats is so much higher than any other group. So the biggest, I would say, thing that polling missed was the youth participation gap. And I think that is a something that they can be blasted for um, because in 2018, this generation, which is Gen Z, showed up to vote. And in 2020, they showed up to vote. Both times at record levels. That's three sets of historical data that says that they're going to show up and do that. So going forward, there should be the inference that they're going to vote because this generation did. And the previous generation that voted higher than any other norms beforehand was Gen Z, excuse me, Gen X. And we voted at a higher level going forward ever since. So that should be the... the way that polls are modeled going forward. And then my final point for that is, if you can't show a model of your work and you're just screaming out, I had it right, I had it right, I had it right, then you should be welcome to criticism when people point out that you don't have a model and what you predicted is wrong. So there's a couple of people on this app, one lady that is like this gypsy woman that is on here screaming every day that she got this right, this right, this right. And she talks to this campaign, this campaign and another has no model, has no records, have no proof. And the other person, if you're saying you got Washington 3 right and my good friend Crystal does a search and the first time you mentioned Washington 3 was two days ago, then expect incoming to happen. You could just say, I cheerleaded really well for Democrats. I kept the spirit up. That's a wonderful thing. 
Keeping people positive and engaged in the process is a wonderful thing. If that's what you do, that's what you did. Own that. But don't say that you predicted a model, you don't have a model, and there are people asking you for the model, and then they come after you because you know, especially when we look like us, if you don't have receipts to back up what you said, they're going to tear you apart. I don't want to see one of us getting torn apart because we have too much hubris. Besides that, I love this space, love what y'all are doing. Glad I didn't have to talk after Mark today, so I heard him dropping the receipts earlier, so I'm grateful for that. Um, love what y'all do here. Keep being positive. Keep being energetic. We still have a race to go. Um, we have Georgia to go. We need to win this one because if we win Georgia and Katie Hobbs wins, the president, the vice president, Senator Schumer are going to be able to put pressure on cinema like she's never seen before. The ability to rectify codify and balance power and i was loving it yesterday because like the moment that katie hobbs number came out and it looked like it was almost impossible for carrie lake to, pot, to um, pass her up the white house all of a sudden spoke and said oh we are putting adding states on the table we are putting fixing the judges on the table we believe we can give the 50 votes getting the 50 votes means that you need to break cinema's will and i'm all for that so i want to thank you all for voting Thank you all for putting Joe and Kamala in the position that they can give her an Irish wedding, if, excuse me, an Irish um, uh, funeral if she decides not to cooperate. It's time to get all Democrats on board. That means Bernie, Liz, all the communists, the ones that want to be independent. We can't put pressure on Manchin. I wish we could, but get them all on board. I'm excited about 2024, especially if you make these power grabs. And we did this because a lot of y'all voted, a lot of y'all phone bank, a lot of y'all text. Y'all did the work. Oh, and one final thing. I want to shout out to my sister in heaven, Lynn Vargas. I know she's uh, smiling at us. Um, we won Pennsylvania for her. Uh, the governor that she loved and the, assist and the lieutenant governor that she loved blew it out. They flipped red counties to blue. They overperformed Shrek by 10 to 11 points. They were representative of what that state wanted. And I wish the media would focus on them instead of focusing on the person that underperformed. And the Senate candidate that she couldn't stand still got the job done. Um, and I know she's happy. And we've won the Senate. And whatever we feel in the House, it was for her. And we just love her. We miss her. And again, thank you all for doing this, please. Hey, I, I want to jump in real quick on the uh, Washington 03 in that that's one that I worked on here locally. Um, we we had heads down and like purposefully, I at first was talking about it and I want to say I called it, you know, I, but I, I, not I, trust you more, I trust you more than the other guy. I trust you more than the other guy. <laughs> but, but, not, but, but not by any stats, just because I... I was part of what was going on, on the ground, but we were purposely keeping our heads down and being quiet because I, I had initially put something out and what we realized it was far more powerful through email to uh, more uh, middle of the road Republicans um, than it was being out there in the general public. Um, and so we just got real sneaky about it and kept heads down. And had I not been inside that, I don't think I would, I, I would have ever called that myself. I mean, so, it was smart. Right. It was smart. I mean, no one saw that race on the table. No one saw um, Colorado three on the table. I mean, we did. There was some talk on Washington three. No one saw Colorado three on the table. But the party and those people on the ground did. And oh, I need to give credit to Jamie Harrison. Jamie Harrison put DNC yes. staffers 
on the ground in every single district. Now, some candidates may not be upset because they didn't get as much. But if you've already lost two times and you're winning for the third try, why do you need more resources to lose for the third time to that one candidate that has an issue? Um, but everyone else was appreciative of it. Um, I'm sorry for that one candidate in California that wasn't appreciative of the help. Um, Jamie Harrison, it's not your 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 mule. You should be grateful, but whatever, whatever with her, bye. <laughs> Thank you, DT. I always love it. Yeah, that was really <laughs> That was some kind of, you know, like diatribe she went on. I'm like, wow, so nervy. <laughs> and thank you for putting it on my radar because, you know, that was ugly, um, her behavior. But, um, Mark, you sent something to me in the DM. Do you want to uh, mention that? And then I'm going to pick up with um, 971, Sharon, Donna, and uh, – um, let me see. Sharon, Donna, and um, Shauna. Oh, yeah, real quick. Um, and I, I have a, actually a question for Geechee, too. Um, uh, real quick, the uh, independent state legis uh, legislature oral argument, and uh, the case is called Moore versus Harper. That oral argument takes place on December 7th, which is uh, a few weeks away. Um, so the week after Thanksgiving. And then on the on the other case, the um, what is black or, or Louisiana legislature wanting only to count towards um, Section 2, uh, discriminatory cases they only want people that check black only not black plus anything else they want it just to be black um they're not they're not accepting the department uh the the um the department of justice definition um they that case has not been scheduled for oral arguments um also um <clears throat> um the the john lewis voting rights act covers race color or being in a language minority group in a way that violates the 14th and 15th amendments anywhere in the, in the United States or a subdivision. So someone had a question about that. So it's race, color, or being in a language minority group. Um, it doesn't cover partisan gerrymandering because both parties do partisan gerrymandering. It's not illegal to partisanly gerrymander, but, uh, but it is illegal to, uh, on the basis of the 14th and 15th amendment to uh, racially do that. Um, and Geechee, um, you great points, man. I, you know, it, 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 I'm glad you summarized it the way you did and surgically too. Like I just, I loved it. But my question is, it, it was, uh, were these polls, it, it, was it just negligence or is this, was it purposeful, um, chicanery? Cause there was, I mean, it's, they've been off a couple times, but this was egregious. Um, I think both, um, I think that the first thing you have to go to is why did a lot of pollsters not get into the field right now? Um, I'm going to look that up while I'm talking right now, but let me go to the other part. The GOP flooding of Republican polls was obvious. It was not done to, it was done because they thought that it would spark turnout for them and depress um, Democratic turnout. Um, and it didn't do that. Um, and that's going to mess up models. And unless you have a way in which you're screening polls out there's no way of doing that. There's a, a Democratic pollster that's full of shit to Center Street that's like overinflates uh, Democratic numbers by like 15 points. But like the that's one. There were like 20 polls that came in from like Brandsmart polling. Like it was just like ridiculous polls that were coming out that didn't make any sense that all of a sudden flooded the, the, the zone and took races like the Fetterman race that was like Fetterman plus nine and took it to like Oz plus one. And that race should have probably been like a Fetterman plus three, but it skewed what the actual results were. And that did a major disservice to this. Now, the other ones are the polls that chose not to be in the pool. I'm trying to find my tweet 
on that um, of the polling companies that decided to sit this out. Quinnipiac is one of them. Let's spell it right. Um, okay, the polls that decided to sit out this poll. Here are the names of the polls that just ghosted this cycle. And by ghosting, mean they did not put a poll in the field in the last six weeks of the field because the polling ratings that are done by 538, Roper, AAPOR are all done in the last six weeks of polling. So if you don't have, if you have a poll before that, it's not going to be graded on how you did in the poll. But if you do one in the last six weeks, they'll grade you on your job of that. And that's how you get a lot of money from other campaigns or even from your school or other independent donors. Um, independent Business um, News Daily and TIPP, their A plus pollster, did not participate in this um, cycle and the ending of the cycle. Harris Insights Harvard poll, B plus pollster, did not participate. Reuters, A plus pollster, did not participate. Survey USA, A plus pollster, I would say the biggest, the best national pollster, the, be the best individual pollster is the Iowa Des Moines Register and Seltzer poll. They're the best individual pollster or statewide pollster. But national, Survey USA, I would say is the best, A plus. Emerson, A minus, not in the field. Quinnipiac, A minus, not in the field. CNBC, A plus, not in the field. The Hill, B, C grade, not in the field. USC, Doris Life, LA Times, B, C, not in the field. NPR, Maris, A, not in the field. New York Times, Siena. And I will give credit to Nate Cohen of the New York Times. They said they weren't going to go in the field. They said there is no way of getting this election right because of there's a lot of evidence that youth voters are going to show out and there's no historical de um, reference that they're going to show up because their idea of historical deference has to happen three times. This is the third time. The other is that they are seeing polls that are showing that blacks and Latinos are not going to show up, but what they have seen in their polling does not back that up. The third was that they were seeing that they were, there, they were seeing from all their pollsters there was going to be a huge gender um, disparity, and their pollster, and I'll give them credit for this because I thought there would be, there wasn't a big gender disparity. Um, and then I would say of the fourth thing, that there was going to be a massive movement of white women to the Democratic Party. That didn't happen. I mean, it's either a two-point or it's a two, it's either two-point movement to the Democratic Party or two-point increase to the Demo or towards the Republican Party. Um, and then the last poll is NPR Mayors and, and oh, Susquehanna, 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 I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm sorry, um, which is a B-plus pollster. All these pollsters, they were in the field in either the last three weeks of 2018 and or 2018 or 2020, and they decided not to get in the field. And that's basically saying, we don't think we can get this polling right, we're out of it. And there have been polling outfits that have gotten out of this over time because they polling this electric is hard. Pew and Gallup used to be the biggest pollsters in this country. They don't do horse race polling anymore. They blew 2012 so bad they got out of it. They had Romney winning in 2012 when everybody else had Obama winning. Romney never had a chance in 2012. He never had any steam in any of the swing states ever, besides the two swing states that the Obamas knew that they weren't winning, which is North Carolina and, and, and um, Indiana. And they kept saying, oh, Romney's up, Romney's up, Romney's up. And Romney, of course, as we know, got destroyed. So that would be my answer to those questions. I hope it answers your questions. I know nothing about the law, the legal cases because I'm not an attorney, but I know you know those things. Did I answer your question? Yes. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Geechee, again. I appreciate you guys being here and adding depth to our conversation. And, and Geechee, always the uh, mad scientist with all of the stats, and um, I love it. So thank you. Um, up next, we've got um, 971. Then Sharon, 
Donna, um, Shauna, Allie, and Khalil. Hey, everybody. Topher here. Um, I checked uh, just before um, I came on. We haven't had any uh, new drops from any other counties outside of Maricopa today, which I find really interesting. So we're, we're, I, we're probably going to see a bunch of numbers come out when Maricopa drops tonight around 6. Um, I wanted to um, uh, give thanks to Tiff. Um, the, the last part um, when she was talking um, applies to me. <laughs> <laughs> gave me kind of a smack in the face and I appreciate it. Um, I was, I was one of the Gen Z's that was shitting all over or uh, one of the, the Gen X's who was shitting all over uh, my, my white Gen Z's yesterday. Um, and uh, I, I realized there is a segment of, of that population that I can put my experience in, which is our, our young LGBT people here in Phoenix. So that's, where I'm going to start putting my focus. Thank you, Tiff. I really appreciate that. Um, the the conversation about um, uh, the suppression tactics when 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 our uh, congressional districts were were remapped, they they were fully remapped to. Um, encompass as much of the white vote as possible. I'm in Debbie Lesko's district, and she gained a huge, huge tract of land, which makes no sense, but it covers a, a uh, housing development called Anthem, and Anthem is as large as Flagstaff. Um, and it is, it is a huge, huge white population. So it, it canceled out all of the, the, uh, the black and Hispanic vote here in Peoria. Um, but there was no one opposing her this year. And, and I think if we actually had someone on the ticket running against her, we probably would have lost, but it would have been a sign that there was actually movement in this district. Um, uh, the, the Jevin Hodge district, <clears throat> they were really counting on that, uh, on the white vote for that. And this race is proving that that is not at all true. And I think in, two, in 24, we have a an extremely good chance of picking up that seat. Um, another area of suppression was for all of our tribal lands. And after 2018, um, no, tw uh, 2020, um, when there was such a massive uh, tribal vote, the state legislature jumped on that and was like, oh, well, you know, we, we can't afford to keep putting all of these, uh, all of these new polling locations out there. So you're going to have to make do. Um, so that's another area that uh, 
that I will attempt to put some work into is is making sure that all of our our uh, tribal nations are getting equal access to a ballot box because they're so remote out here. Um, you know, we're making a big deal that on the Navajo nation, they're parts of it are finally getting electricity. They still don't have running water, but they're starting to get some electricity out there. So um, there's, there's a huge untapped vote in all of these remote areas of our state that really need a lot of work. And Geechee, you touched on a very, uh, a very big issue here in Arizona. Our state Democratic Party has completely dropped the ball uh, for most of the state. They're, they're concentrating on the races that they know that they can win and, and not putting any effort into any other, uh, any other race within the state. So uh, that, that, leaves, uh, that leaves us with a lot of work that needs to be done. And I, I, I'm going to make every effort to, to push in those areas. So um, thank you, everybody, for the great conversation. I, I really appreciate it. And again, Tiff, thank you. I needed to hear that. <laughs> um, and with that, I'm going to jump back down to uh, listening before my battery runs out. I hear you. I'm I'm recharging now. Thank you guys so much for being here and thank you for sharing. And, um, you know, I love it when we learn lessons from one another. So another wonderful thing about um, community. And um, Sharon is tight. Um, she's got a call. So um, I'm going to move Donna drop back down. So I'm going to move to you, Shauna, and um, then um, Allie. And we'll see if Sharon is ready to jump in then. And um, then we'll go to Kalel. Shauna, are you there? Okay, I'm bringing Donna back up. Okay. Donna? I know Twitter is, you know, how they do. Uh, I kind of figured that. So, and I'm, uh, Shauna may be tied up because I know Sharon is. So, I'm Yeah, I'll go come. To... Well, I'll go after Miss Donna. Sorry, I was tied up for a second myself. I figured. So. Okay. It's all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we work together. <laughs> so, Donna, you, and then if Sharon hasn't finished, we'll go to um, Shauna and then I'll check on Sharon again. Oh, I just wanted to uh, kind of back up what Danny was saying about how the sand is with um, bringing the felons back in. Um, that, because even after they rewrote the law, Danny, remember, remember the NBA and Bloomberg and quite a few others came in and paid off the restitutions for a lot of those felons. And that's when he went and tied it up in court, where it still is. So, I mean, I can understand the voter apathy here, but the voter apathy is not just about the scientists. A lot of them feel that they've been failed by the Democratic Party itself. Because I've talked to some of the, you know, the younger generation, and they like, well, Trump gave us checks. No, Trump did not give you a check. That check came from the Democratic legislature. All he did was sign his name to it. So I 
say we got a lot of work to do as far as educating uh, not only your immigrant community, but also just black folk here who just they've checked out. And how we get them to check back in, that's the, how do you say, the million dollar question. Can I say something, ask Miss Donna a question? Sure, sweetie. How, when I went to high school in Florida. Mm-hmm. Do you think the fact that it just it overwhelmingly it feels like like all the power in the state is held by like the elders in the in the state as opposed to like there's no real power that you can gain from being like young or middle aged in the state? Does that like hurt like youth from coming out in that state? I think they may have. I always some... felt I was in, in St. Pete that it was always like they always were going to get what they wanted and they were going to like cut us out every time. Yeah, I think that has something to do with it. I also think that by them not being politically educated to know how to even get in, that's a big problem as well. I mean, we have to do some, I mean, in the younger community, we're going to have to, I mean, go in. I don't know if the, if the Democratic Party is, or are we going to have to do it on our own, or how it's going to be done, but it's going to have to be done. Because a lot of these young folks, I mean, they are politically illiterate. They, they have no clue as to how the process goes. They had on the news where they asked this one young, one young girl, it was a, guy, a girl and a guy, and asked them, what are your three branches of government? They said the president, the Senate, and the House. I was floored. They had no clue about the judiciary. So that's what I'm saying. And the importance of that is that the judiciary is how we got our our civil rights. Exactly. Brought us into, you know. They have no clue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my grandson, we, a lot of the knowledge and stuff that he got is not because he learned it at school. I mean, he's only just turned five, but we've always worked with him because we know what this school system is. But if you go back generations before it was integration, that is how we were. That's how we were taught. That's how we learned. And we're going to have to go back to that until we can get some kind of equality. Because if not, we're going to be oof, not 10 steps behind, maybe 30 or 40 steps behind when it comes to our youth. So, I mean, as far as solutions, I don't have any, like, a master plan, but we're going to have to come up with one, whatever it looks like. Well, sometimes I think that plan and those solutions change, um, evolve. But I say part of it is, Okay, D, I think we lose No, you. sorry. Uh, my earbuds <laughs> are like tangled like crazy. I'm like talking. And trying. Okay. So anyway, I'm sorry about that. But, you know, it would be great to have a master plan. But I, I think just continuing to have plans and to have discussions and they, they may change. And some of it, we shouldn't write off what we're doing here and the discussions and, and the continual education of it. It's a, 
it's an um, an ongoing thing. It's how we, it's kind of like a, a daily community galvanizing of sort. Like, you know, that's part of our job to continue to get them to do that. And I can't remember so many wonderful things have been said. And um, I think um, Geechee sparked it again in me. But, you know, when we were talking about the Southern states and this kind of thing, understand sometimes it does I feel like hopeless because all of the um, gerrymandering that they did, you know, the restrictive laws and the people who they have uh, stripped of their voting rights because of, you know, criminal cases and and that sort of thing. We had one of the lowest voter turnout, like less than 40 percent. That's sad. Okay. It is. And the uh, and the other thing is is that sometimes when you when people are going out there voting and you know that the people that you are not voting for are the ones who keep winning because it's rigged <laughs> that way, it right. gets to be a little, you know, discouraging. But then too, but then too D, when you start dealing with the Ooh, the the Democratic Party and I mean just the whole Democratic Party when it comes to to Miami. Anybody who's lived here know, oh, that's a whole nother ball game, and it's been that way for a while. But again, and, and Geechee touched on this point. It is important for us to continue to start that work really at the grassroots local level. And I say that that begins to help people feel empowered and encouraged because it's, you know, a lot easier to win a school board seat and you start getting involved and see how, you know, your representative is making a difference. And then you get on a a city council or, you know, you know, whatever they call them in your community. Like my cousin, she ran for and tied and very likely should have had a city commission, a, a county commission seat. I'm telling you, that's powerful. And that's how close the very first time she ran uh, that she got. And that is, you know, a county commission seat that holds a lot of pow- power for the second richest county here in Tennessee, you know, and, and, and growing. So when we do that, it starts to build people's confidence. It helps them to see, you know, how their representation and how um, it can be effective for them. And, and and that's how you kind of connect them to politics. Like I've always been aware of it, but I promise you my passion and fight for it came when I got actively involved at the local level. So, you know, I say part of that solution is not a master plan and it's going to look different everywhere is getting people involved at the local level. And, and like I said, just small things, dog catcher, whatever. And also, uh, election poll workers, you know, it's not something that happens every day or whatever, but get involved in that process, too, because you can believe it's important, just like our vote. They're trying to stop us from having it. They don't want people to be election poll workers. So it's important. You know, that is um, an important um, cog in the wheel of democracy. And we need wherever, you know, these things are happening we need to be involved and have representation there because that's what all of this, you know, machinery they have going, you know, this anti-democratic machinery is working to stop our involvement and, and, and how they kind of gained their, their power and momentum now 
is working at those very grassroots local levels. They went to the state houses. You also got to have the temperament for it. Not everybody has it, and I am one who do not have the temperament. Well, sure, you can't, but you may meet someone who you think does and encourage them and support them. I mean, you know, like you don't have to be the one to do it, but you can support someone who Oh, is. I can be the best cheerleader, but mm-hmm. no, I can't. And that's what I'm saying. I when to... I say get involved, that doesn't mean running, actively running, but be, you know, finding people to run, supporting those who are, you know, there are many roles that we can play. And I think, you know, they're all important. So yeah, we can cheerlead. You know, I was certainly cheerleading for my cousin and some of you guys, um, you know, help me with that. We all were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. So I appreciate that. And you're right. But it, it's and it gets discouraging sometimes. But this is this is never going to be like, you know, the final game, like the playoff. Our democracy is an ongoing, you know, oh, yeah. fight. And, and that's the other part that we have to help people to understand. Like, yeah, we have elections and we win some, we lose some, but we still keep going because that's how you you get it and gain that that political power and representation in those incremental steps and um so thank you so much um mark can i dm you with a question sure okay it's about the the legal thing with how the santis did this holding up this um this case in the court sure I'm not sure. Okay. I, I'm not sure if I can answer it because that's a that's a state of Florida matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some constitutional implications, so I'll I'll try. Okay, thank you, sweetie. Well, thank you, Donna and Danny, both for putting that back on our radar. I think again, it's important that we have these conversations to bring these things to aware because you know they 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 come into the news cycle and then they get pushed out. So it's again why it's important that we come in here and we're all from different corners of the nation and we can help keep it fresh in our mind. Again, reminding us of all the ways and all the places that they are stripping us of our, you know, our political voice. So um, did you have anything else you wanted to add, Donna? No, that's it. Thank you, Dee. Thank you, Miss Donna, and I look forward to you uh, helping us and our um, guest uh, co-hosting. So thanks again. I appreciate you. And up next, well, I think welcome. She- yeah, I think Sharon is ready, and then Shauna. Hi, Dee and Eugene. Thank you for hosting the space. Um, I really want to thank you. Uh, today was a little um, put out. I, I live in New York State uh, in the city, but a lot of my family's upstate. I think I've said that before. And, um, you know, I got some information that uh, disturbed me about some of the issues that were happening in New York State. But I also had a, a bad interaction. But I was really glad I found this space because um, I think you blew for doing that. Because uh, Tiffany validated how I felt as well as address some of the issues I had, which was really necessary because I was just sort of like, I kept on asking this question over and over again. I'm like, look, I need to know what Jacobs, Jay Jacobs has, has done because I'm not seeing it. And, and I think that's really important because, um, you know, I, I, I can see some of his concerns and some of his concerns were valid, but, um, you know, I do believe in service to people and he was placed in that position to serve. And I did not think he did that. 
I, I don't think he needed to make those judgments. But um, but listening to everyone, Danny and Blue and 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 Gigi, it, it kind of gave me some sort of ideas, especially with some of the people who are upstate, who I do know, who I worked with for years, and what they can do in educating. And I don't think necessarily it was it was all voter suppression or even voter apathy, I think there was a lot of confusion, especially for Democratic voters in certain counties. That was definitely something went on. Um, but I think a lot of people were not really, um, were not necessarily getting the information as they should have. Um, um, and I think uh, th th there was just a lot going on this year in New York State. We had, you know, um, we have a new gun law that, that we we never had before. People didn't know how that would affect uh, certain places in um, the state. Um, and we, we've also had a lot of, uh, there's a lot of new people. I think Blue was talking about um, we have a migrant population, a migrant worker population where I live, um, where I used to live. I don't live there anymore. But, um, you know, in Ulster and Dutchess County, Columbia County and stuff. Um, and we we also have just Latino voters, people from the Caribbean, Black Americans who have always been there. We have a lot of different voters up there, but they weren't getting the information to them. So we have two years I know we lost our four seats and I'm coming to grips with that. And, you know, I, I, I'm just going, I'll just sulk about that. But it doesn't mean while sulking, I will not be organizing and, and doing more. I didn't do as much as I could have done. Part of it was work. Part of it was just an overload. I, I was overloaded. Um, but there, there, there has to be something done because I've never seen... I don't think I've ever seen New York like this, so red. And um, I'm not comfortable with that. I, I'm really not, especially with um, that former person um, and his influence upstate. Um, so with that said, thank you so much for this space because I needed it. I really did. Well, thank you for coming and joining, and I'm glad we could kind of talk you off the, you know, the ledge a little bit today. We've been known to do that for a number of people, and you guys have certainly done that for me. And it makes me, it reminds me of something else I wanted to add, the fact that, yes, everyone recognizes that Tennessee is, you know, pretty red. But keep in mind that we have not always been that way. We have had many decades and periods of a balanced govern, uh, you know, balanced governors, uh, governance here, meaning that you know we've had uh, for years actually we had a democratic hold on the state house. Now we had democratic and republican governors, and you know our uh, the city council was a pretty good mix and blend, and we can get back there again. But we have to work around and jump over some of these hurdles that they have put in place because that was their goal with their 2010 red map was to sew up these state legislatures so that they could have, you know, GOP um, super majorities. And we've just got to start whittling away at them because, like I said, it wasn't always this way in this state. And, you know, there may be some others where it's been that way for a long time. But, you know, um, 
you know, sometimes change takes time and we are not going to give up. And that's why we're here every day talking about what the problems are and, and um, how we can work to, to fix them. And, and also recognizing that it is a long game. And sometimes you, you work where you can, when you can. Everything we do matters. And, and that's that's the most we can ask of any citizen. This is just to do what you can, where you can, when you can, because we all have in real life things that we're going on. And, you know, we all kind of help carry the load for the entire you know community and democracy as citizens of this country. So thank you so much, Sharon. And Ali, thank you for, you know, bringing her in. Um, and um, I appreciate everyone who has joined us in the space today. Please share and retweet it because it is recorded. And I think it has been an awesome conversation to share. But um, also, um, you know, just kind of a, a good reference point. We had some good historical data thrown down. I think we're going to get some more from Brother Khalil which I asked him to chime in on and Dr. Marshall, who, you know, she has left us, but early on helped to, you know, bring a lot of clarity from a historical standpoint on, you know, the, the history of voter suppression. So I, again, I think this is a conversation we're going to be having for a long time because, you know, that is how they continue to disenfranchise us. And this conversation can even be, you know, expanded from a geopolitical standpoint as well, apartheid. That is what they do did and that is why and white supremacy is at the root of that so um i appreciate you guys again and i'm going to go next to shauna and then um ali and khalil and i'm going to start to wind us up i see gregory in the house and he wants to come up and join us i would love to have you up and um, we'll start to wrap up and i want to thank you guys for an awesome conversation today and i look forward to you joining us again tomorrow um eugene will be hosting and soul sister will be his feature um guest co-host so please join them where the conversation continues and um, i will share the lineup this week like i said we have an awesome rotating group of um co-host and as always it is not really us the host that make this space it really is your voices so i i just thank you for always enriching the conversations that we have here so shauna you're next and ali and khalil hi good afternoon so uh thanks for this space um so yeah you know here in texas is crazy i've been talking way too much about it like the last several days and um so today, um, the governor, um, so Governor Abbott, I guess he's um, having like the Texas Rangers look into some stuff here in Texas about Harris County. He's saying there is some stuff going on with um, voting irregular irregularities. Sorry. Um, and I think he's mad because the county judge, the Democratic county judge won. And I wonder, I know she was here earlier. Um, Stevie was Stevie. here. Was she yeah, she put some yeah. things under the thread. Yeah. Yeah, because I think um, I know she was there last night in uh, Bobby and Tamina's space, and I missed some of what she said later because I had to leave. Um, but I know she had mentioned um, there was a woman that was, you know, there were some GOP plants um, that were kind of like doing shady stuff so that the that this type of investigation could be open. And it's funny she said that because that's what he's calling for today. Um, yeah, I, I heard her, Shauna, and basically what she said, and she she cautioned us to be careful because, um, it, you know, it was um, 
some misinformation that was being put out about um, an, some issues that they were having at polling places, like, you know, kind of benign things, but, you know, kind of inferring that, you know, they were malicious um, and that, um, you know, like it, you know, things don't look right. And most of these messages were being pushed by GOP people. So again, like, you know, she connected the dots very smartly and, and you today have, you know, brought the evidence to us. It was all designed right. to get to this place and make it seem like they had reason and rationale to do it when basically propaganda is what, um, you know, led them there. They were already going to go here. So they just needed the yeah. narrative. Yeah. And like I said, I, I know the county judge um, is Democratic down there, Lena Hidalgo. Um, down there in Houston and she won and I know that they're mad about that because she um, put up a good fight down there and won and so they're mad the GOP guy didn't get it because he you know uh, that race was um, a hard fought one but oh well I mean she won it's a it's a democratic county but you know since turnout was low they thought he could maybe you know get a win down there but it, it didn't work out for him too bad you know but um but, you know, the, the thing I did post yesterday, um, there was something about, you know, there were some polling places that did open late and, you know, the Supreme Court, you know, ruled that there were votes that weren't going to be counted. And so, you know, um, I was like, why don't you look into this? You know, you're trying, you're asking him, you know, you're asking them to look into some other crap that doesn't make any sense. Why don't you make sure everyone's votes get counted? That's yeah, crazy. and that's where you have to yeah. put it back to them because you know yeah, that... I'm like you're ridiculous. Like mm -hmm. you know, why don't you make sure some lockbox? Why don't you get more than one Dropbox per county? Why is there a county with 100 people have one Dropbox and one county with three million people have one Dropbox? Because that's what's going on down here. Um, there's, um, yeah. For those who don't know, and I'm pretty sure everyone should know by now because I've said it a zillion times now. Um, Texas has 254 counties. And there are several counties that have like less than, you know, 5,000 people. Um, there's a lot of those types of counties. And so, you know, Dallas County has uh, a couple million people. Harris County is the most populated county. They have over 3 million people. Uh, you know, it goes, you know, um, you know, top to bottom. But the smallest county in Texas has 100 people and they have a lockbox, just one drop box. And he uh, did this in 2020. Um and so, you know, I'm not sure, uh, you know, what can be done here. You know, I've, turnout, of course, was historically low uh, this time around. It was lower than 2018 and 20. And so, um, and going back to what Ali was saying about Uvalde, I just think I can't really answer for why the voting pattern is so low there, but that's, that's how they vote out there. It, it's a it's a Republican, uh, re you know, Latino Republican conservative area. Uh, it's a non-voting area. And so that's how it's been. They voted for Abbott in 2018, 2020. Uh, they didn't vote that they, you know, they voted for Abbott this time. So I can't really, you know, the shooting didn't really change much. So, I mean, I know when people said they were surprised, I mean, I wasn't that surprised by it. It didn't really surprise me that much. Because um, there's Uvalde, the city, then there's the county, too. I mean, the county is not that large, but that's just how the, I mean, that's how they vote. A lot of that population often vote against their own interest. Yeah. 
yeah, so I just, I don't really have an answer uh, for that. Um, and I think getting back to what Gichi was saying earlier, you know, um, I, I think, uh, and I said this yesterday too, I think the state parties, um, you know, they're calling for the, the guy here in Texas to be replaced. And I think they need to do that everywhere. A lot of housekeeping needs to get done because I think people need to, you know, definitely to get engaged because the thing is here in Texas, the people keep getting registered to vote. Voting registration keeps going up here, but people just aren't coming out to vote. That's the the mind-boggling thing here. Like, people keep getting registered, so I just don't know why they don't think it's important to, to show up. That's the frustrating part. Like, more and more people keep getting registered, so it's just a matter of uh, educating them on as to why it's important for them to actually come out and and vote because you know we have a senate election coming up in 2024 and i know florida does also but uh you know i i don't even know who could beat ted cruz down here i don't know who could beat rick scott in florida at this point in time i don't know i have no idea I, yeah. you know but I don't, I don't know so and and we don't have to have all the answers but we certainly need to you know like kind of look at where the problems are and right you know, for sure and it's time it's never too early to start speculating because you know exactly and coming up with you know some, yeah. some possible solutions they may not be the one and it may it's likely not going to be a single solution but certainly to come up with some that you know are pretty viable and let's test them out and and i feel like just the fact that you know that's a win that we are you're continuing to get people to register now we you know now we have to take to the next step one get those registered voters out and and that requires as geechee tip and so many people have spoken to about um the um the efforts at the local level to engage with the constituency on a regular basis, you know, yeah. and not, you know, like yep. you know, two or three months or weeks before certain elections. Yeah. And I still think it goes, I, I still think that senior leadership coming out to visit, I still think it makes a big difference. Like I was saying last night, I think, oh, I, I think a lot of these areas, you know, you noticed how, um, when election season comes around, you know, people, you know, presidential candidates, they always go to Iowa, New Hampshire. They always see, you know, get the most attention, all these swing states. I think if these southern states got as much attention from presidential candidates and high profile, you know, uh, leadership, I, I bet turnout would be a lot higher, you know, in these areas. But, you know, no one ever visits these areas. And I think that contributes to low, you know, low voter turnout. And I really wish that people would uh, visit these areas because you know everyone goes to Iowa everyone goes to New Hampshire everyone goes to South Carolina and and turnout was decent in South Carolina you know they had way more turnout in South Carolina than other states you know that I uh, posted last night um, um, in the other space so and that's because they're way more engaged than than some of the other states because they're, they're used to traffic you know from right. people out there so just something to for someone yeah. to hugely consider, so uh, yeah, anyway. and 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 Flotus came here, but you know, I I wish she would come back, and you know, I'm gonna yeah, you know, put that out there because she came here because of the our low vaccination rate here, um, yep. to push that. I remember, but, yeah. you know, but she's a teacher, so I would like for her to come here and 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 start, you know, getting into these, you know, what they're doing to our um, education system and how certain states have, you know made it you know part of their mission to basically destroy their education systems you know statewide and then you know take that 
and to a, a federal level. So lots yeah, of I wish she would go back there. I wish I, I know I did. I do know that President Biden didn't go to Louisiana a few months back. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I wish they would just, you know, kind of go to these areas frequently, you know, Vice President Harris. I wish they would just kind of, well, you we'll know, make it that asking. a habit and yeah, get we'll more people engaged in stuff. Um, and that would really motivate people, I think, to, to turn out because, you know, I think people are very disaffected. And, and that and is certainly one thing for us to look at. And like I said, we can keep asking them to do this. And I think that they, um, you know, when, when people ask and this, this bubbles up, they understand because I know uh, during um, President Obama's um, uh, terms, um, um, his wife uh, floated, came here then as well. And um, they have come here. And, and when they go to these places, we also then need to kind of amplify it, you know, in the fact yeah. that so um and I not think, just you know a few months before election but like they need to start doing this stuff like now you know like later on this year you know or you know early next year it doesn't have to be like right now right now but you know right well we'll just kind of soon that way people you know get motivated and and then when election day 2024 pops up you have a very motivated you know electorate and then people yes. pop up you know and I, I expect 2024, it'll be higher turnout just because it's a presidential year. You know, midterms Absolutely. always kind of stink, you know, so. Yeah. Well, but thank anyway, you so much. I get off my I, soapbox. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much again. I appreciate you being one of our uh, featured guest co-hosts. And um, we're going to have you in uh, sitting in on Thursday. So looking forward to that. And guys, no, even when I'm not here, I'm listening. I'm checking in. Uh, not because I'm checking on you, but because I think the conversations we have here are important and even if um you know i'm not hosting i still want to hear um you know the conversation that is taking place because i think they are important and um again just want to thank all of you guys who who help us to make sure those conversations continue and that they're you know productive and effective so um up next i ali i know you have your hand up carol has come up she hasn't spoken so i'm going to go to her then you and then khalil who is going to kind of bring us back full circle to you know kind of um what we had talked about also um tie into um you know, our democracy, the state of our democracy. So Carol, Allie, and then Khalil. Thanks so much, Dizia. Um, today's space is just amazing. It is just blowing me away. And I'm so grateful to you for um, deciding to do this topic. Uh, I'm personally learning so much. And I just think it is just an amazing opportunity for all of us to learn and to retweet this space and to get a lot of people to hear it and to learn a lot. And I just think it, it was brilliant, a brilliant idea to do this today, while interest is so high in these topics. Um, I also you know, want to say I'm glad that Danny and, and Don um, and uh, Donna uh, reinvigorated this, these questions about Florida and this horrible uh, disenfranchisement that has gone on here. And you know, Florida is like such a case study in voter suppression. It's like, I'm sure there's several states are, right? But I am learning about Florida because I'm here. And um, something that I didn't really know about Florida was that 12 years ago, Florida became one of the first states to outlaw partisan gerrymandering. 
There was a ballot initiative here that passed with 63% of the vote and Florida citizens enshrined the Fair Districts Amendment in the state constitution. And this amendment prohibited drawing maps with the intent to favor or disfavor a political party. And it provided protections for minority communities. And at that time, the state was 17% black. And it created a kind of a, a stronghold uh, of safety while there were shenanigans going on with the Supreme Court, where voter rights protections were being chipped away at gradually in the Supreme Court. And the reason I know this is because ProPublica, which is a public interest journalism organization, nonprofit, has just published a few days ago a sweeping examination of the history of voter suppression in the state of Florida. And it is a jaw-dropping roller coaster that started with the election of the first uh, black congressman in 1870. He was a former slave and his name was Walls. And he, he, he was in a short time before they decided that they had to get him out. And that's how the voter suppression began uh, with the Jim Crow laws coming in. But this article not only gives us an amazing view of the history to answer a lot of those questions, but it also reveals the really dirty doings of Ron DeSantis in cahoots with other red states that were, were doing the things that you talked about with the red map and their schemes to break apart these districts once and for all and to have his court stacked because the Supreme Court of Florida, all the high courts in Florida are stacked mostly with his appointees to make it very hard to challenge him. But the ProPublica investigation is making the case that he may have broken the law. And this investigation is going to continue. And I know that there are challenges in the courts. And it would have to probably go to the Supreme Court to get settled. And all we can hope for is that we will have more Democratic judges in the Supreme Court by the time it gets there. But it's an amazing article. I won't go into more detail now, but I did put it up in the nest. And I just, I'm, it's something that I'm going to be studying for uh, some time because it's just packed, packed with history and packed with information that is really, really useful. So I just wanted to share that. And thanks again so much, because if you hadn't called this topic, I wouldn't have gone searching and I wouldn't have found the article, even though it was right there. And, And that's actually the problem with nonprofit media is that they're doing amazing things. We have nonprofit journalists that are doing amazing things, but nobody knows about it. Even those of us who should know about it, we have to go searching. So yeah, so that's become one, becoming one of my pet peeves is how to get that more in front of us so that we know that these, this amazing journalism is out there for us. And we have to find ways to find it easily and to know it's out there. And that's all I want to say. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank, 
Thank you so much, Carol. Well, one of the ways is by us gathering here and sharing our resources. So thank you for sharing that resource. And I hope, um, you know, like today and and many times the conversations that are sparked here, you know, um, cause people to go out and and search um, and uh, research for more information and just making us all smarter. And, you know, when you learn things that you don't think we know, uh, come and share it with us. And even if you think we know, sometimes it's just good to, you know, kind of reiterate some stuff that we do know. Um, so thank you so much again for coming and joining in an awesome conversation today. So up next we have Allie and then, um, Khalil, and um, we're going to wrap up. I'm um, going to give um, Eugene an opportunity to say something if he'd like before um, we go to Khalil so we can kind of close out and I'll give us our reading. So Allie and Eugene and then Khalil. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, I was, um, uh, I think Gichi has left has me. Um, I was hoping to just to, to chime in a bit about when he was talking about that, uh, House race up in it was Oregon or Washington where the people were voting because uh, they voted for the Democrat because they didn't like the bikers. <laughs> that is actually what's happened in Colorado District Three. Um, people from the moment she was elected, people were embarrassed by Bobert. She's getting voted against. Republicans are voting against her because they want her out. Um, and uh, those of you that got to hear uh, Frisch's um, space he did the other day, he got zero support from the Democratic Party, nothing. And he was on nobody's radar except for those of us who knew how you know detestable she was and how hated she was by many people as soon as she started doing her shenanigans. You know, she was not, she did not win her own county. She was known in the county. It's kind of like Trump. She was already infamous in the county as being um, somebody that was an unscrupulous business person and just, you know, had been arrested several times and a variety of different things. So she was known as a local character who was undesirable. But once that big district uh, voted her in and then she started doing all the stuff she did, especially the January 6th, she was hated on the ground by many, many people. So she was voted against. Uh, the people who lived there could see that she she was very weak. Um, and there were a number of people tried to parachute in there to try and take advantage of that weakness. But um, those she was not on the Democratic Party's radar at all. Um, and so, as Frisch said, he has done the moral victory. I don't know if they're going to pull through the, the, the votes to get across. There's about four to 5,000 more that need to be um, reported and finalized and all that. But uh, he might. And, but it's an automatic uh, recall or if, uh, if it's within, I think it's 5% in Colorado. So, and the Secretary of State will not be announcing it until Thursday, probably, which is the 10-day period. So, but she's got voted against. Um, she was seen as despicable enough that she got voted out. That means there were Republicans voting against her as well. So it's not, she did not get pulled up by the governor or by Polis or anything like that. She was disliked. And um, so it's interesting because you can see people who are just so abysmal that, <laughs> that people will vote against them. And I'm, I'll be so glad when people don't say, you're from Colorado, and I'll say, don't Bobert me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway. Uh, 
Yeah, one tiny little thing. I just wanted to suggest, as we're talking about what, how to prepare people for the next elections and the tie-in with the judiciary branch, I heard so many people talking about they couldn't get information on judges for their ballots. And um, I was thinking as we're providing public information for people, maybe we can kind of on a state-by-state basis look into that because I know in Colorado, they, and in a number of different states I'm familiar with, they do have local papers and the local parties, uh, like the local Democratic Party in Boulder County, where I vote, they always publish voting guides. You can get them, and then there's a couple of the big papers always publish voting guides, and the as far as the judges go and their voting records, the state bar association polls all of the lawyers of the state and has that have them rate those judges that are up and they pull and they divide it out into into lawyers who won and lost cases against the judges and they will only give their recommendation to judges that get you know like a, a above i think it's on a 10 or 11 point scale and they have to be or a 10 point scale and they have to be above 9 points um, before the Colorado Bar Association will endorse the judge to be reelected, those are incumbents. So um, they do a really thorough examination of the cases and um, that information may be there in other states like that. And if we could provide that, like when we're talking about what's going on in different states and how to connect people up, I noticed on initiatives and judges, people were really wondering how to finish up their ballots to get them in. And that was, those were the sticking points. How do I get that information? But you don't, you, I think it may be out there perhaps more than we realize. And we can check with the state bar associations, uh, that kind of thing, and with the local parties to see. Just a suggestion. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. And we, we've talked about that before. So we, we are learning some things to help make voting, things that we can do to help um, continue to inform voters and make voting easier for people. So uh, that is a good reminder. And um, it's something that we can continue to work on. Um, uh, Great suggestion. And thank you for joining us and joining in the conversation today. So um, Eugene, I want to see if you have some closing thoughts. I want to thank Dr. Marshall for her contributions to helping educate us today. And then we're going to hear from Khalil, who always educates us as well. (laughs) Well, it's been a fascinating conversation today. I'm like, yeah, I'm glad that we agreed to like, let's do a week of a topic. Because this one, you know, I'm thinking about, so, you know, I got all these pictures and they're actually pretty cool, um, but like it shouldn't be this way. But there's, I've got all these pictures of Indigenous Americans that rode horses to get to the voting polls, right? And you know, in some of these places, it's cold. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, for, for the voters, voter suppression, like the. There, there are so many insidious ways that that can happen, right? Um, and it, for for me, you know, this this age of information has given rise to an opportunity that you know 
they really figured out how to take advantage of first, to be honest. I mean, they when you talk about that digital campaign that happened in 2015, you know, it, and what I would say is Obama was really good about, you know, engaging on that in digital uh, with digital um, probably before uh, maybe some of us were even engaged. Um, but, you know, they, they really figured that out. And that, that voter suppression using digital means, I mean, it got brutal. And it, I, I really think that, you know, we the people were the reason that that began to go away as we, you know, raised our voices and said, this is not okay, this is America. Um, I, I, I was really fascinated with the history that I heard today put into some personal context. Um, you know, I, I think for me to, um, it, it makes me feel alive for those moments. Um, and, uh, you know, what a long, strange journey this country has been on. Um, nowhere close to the end of it. Um, my gosh, I, I, I have faith that, you know, we the people, you know, I, it was fascinating listening uh, to Geechee about the, the polls and the stats and, you know, <clears throat> like the, the guys that usually do this have pulled out because it's just gotten so nuts. And that, that is, and I think that this has everything to do with digital. And I think that some of these smarter folks on here are going to start figuring out digital ways to get some of these stats um it's still gonna i mean that's probably tougher to do but probably easier to figure out but this is what cambridge analytics did and why it was so dangerous and why i have concerns about that but i i'm always interested in the number side and the scientific look at it right you know why why things happen i'm really depressed to hear of how many white women showed up i really thought that this abortion issue would have motivated far more to get up get out and and vote uh for democrats but apparently yeah i don't know i that's something we need to ponder and you know maybe we'll spend a week of figuring out how to reach white women (laughs) <laughs> if that's possible, I don't know. I, I, um, you're you're being very optimistic, so you know. It, <laughs> well, okay. so but I I, I have figured the, out, you know, the optimism. <laughs> I I have figured out that I do think that one of the 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 reasons, you know, we're talking about the Hispanic vote, and you know, we we need to get that Hispanic vote. We need to start talking to them. Like when I hear areas like Florida, like you know, uh, uh, one for every. 30 campaign ads, you know, on those Hispanic uh, ads, you know, I I don't know about the areas you guys live in, but where I live, we have three country stations on, on, you know, the radio state, which you can listen to on the radio. Say we have three country stations, three rock stations, uh, NPR and 16 Hispanic stations. And I said the same thing here this year to the, I went down to the local Dems and met with them because they're wreck here. And I'm like, how come I'm not hearing it? Cause I listen to Spanish radio. I like, I speak Spanish and I, I, I enjoy it. Like there's some cool music and some cool stories sometimes. Um, but I didn't hear any Democrat 
uh, ads. So for me, like that, 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 okay. So that's, and a lot of them do listen to that Spanish radio. I mean, that music is what connects them back to their homes for most of them. So they're going to be listening to that. Um, so I, I think that there's some of those ways that, you know, we can target some of those things. But the white woman one, uh, D, like, I don't know how you do that. Like, do you, do you have to, you know, because it used to be Days of Our Lives, right? You put a commercial on during Days of Our Lives and you catch them all. Or was that the one, Days of Our Lives? I don't know. It was one of those soap operas. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I had to get a little messy for you. Okay, I see. D lets me go first because Khalil's got wisdom, right? And I just I come in with a little bit messiness. We don't want to close with that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate and D, thank that. you so much. <laughs> and, and D, I just want to thank you so much. I, I it's an honor to do this with you, and thank you for like giving me my relief for Monday. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you for hanging in here. Like I said, we're going to, we're evolving, but you know, we're still here and we'll continue to evolve and, and we're going to do what is necessary to continue the conversation and to continue to make sure that it's effective. And like I said, it's never been about Eugene and I, um, it's about you guys. And we appreciate, uh, Eugene, check your mic. Um, we want to make sure that, um, we just continue to let you guys know how grateful we are and how humbled we are by, like I said, your participation actively in the conversation or in the gallery. I feel actively listening. It all matters. It's important. And, and people who come um, uh, at our bequest to provide um, some area of expertise uh, who are always, you know, very uh, willing to do that. I can't tell you how grateful we are. Today, I went a bit long. I, this will not be our typical Monday, but I'm trying to get this, this format worked out. But um, I think it was worth staying here. And I'm so glad for all of you who came and joined us. And if you've been here the entire time, thank you for that. If you've been here a short time, thank you. It um, We really appreciate it. And it matters. And we see you. So, um I'm going to hear from um, Khalil next. So thank you for coming today and, you know, uh, agreeing to help um, broaden our conversation on voter um, suppression. <laughs> oh, D, can you guys hear me okay? Yes, great. You sound great. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I'm having those, one of those old folks moments where, you know, I'm, I'm looking for something, I can't find it. You know, I understand. You, you yes. Retrace, you know, you retrace what you did like three times and you still can't uh, find it. I can know, relate. And you know it's going to show up and you're going to go, or my wife's going to go, you know why this is sitting there? <laughs> you know, something, something, something to make you really feel old. But anyway, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I so enjoyed this discussion today. I, I find all our discussions are always pretty profitable. Um, and, but this one was so good because I don't know what's going on, but there certainly is a bunch of energy that showed up here today and showed up in the DMs and everything. I mean, folk has just been talking and talking and talking. And I mean, um, the meet, I've been in meetings, um, putting out fires, uh, Monday fires and pre-holiday meetings, you know, pre-holiday fires, you know, so, you know, you know, people are going to be getting ready to take some time off and all that. And 
but there's still a whole lot of work to do. So um, a little bit of trying to keep people focused and inspired because this is this is a challenging time, um, you know, work-wise uh, because there's so much to do still. But it's, it's but I've been able to air hustle a lot, not as much as I'd like um, a lot. And I really wanted to make it because of because um, D, you asked me to come. Um, but I mean, but I heard some really great things, and I, I, I want to again. I, I spoke about this, uh, I guess this weekend, or I don't know when I spoke about it, but um, about understanding our history of voting in this country um, that there's been a a decline in voting really since 1960. And uh, and that decline has been consistent with what was going on socially uh, and politically in the country. You know, for instance, during the 60s, you had the Civil Rights Movement, you had the anti-war movement. Um, and so people's sense of government and respect for government declined, you know, um, for those of us who've been here before we remember, um, you know, during the 60s, government was everything, you know, and you, I mean, we challenged government and all that, but um, there was a, a respect for venerable institutions, and that really changed in the 60s, you know, um, really challenged it. And of course, the civil rights movement bared this country's soul, you know, uh, and it was really very important to us moving forward. And then the women's movement, which really happens in 1960, it starts in 1960, but it peaks in 1970. It really goes into a whole nother mode in 1970. And then you had, you know, the, the ending of the, the you had the recession as well as the, um, uh, you have um, Nixon going to China, you have the end of the Vietnam War, you have people coming back from that war seriously scarred. You know, that's when we begin to understand what PTSD is, you know, at least publicly, we begin to understand what PTSD is. Um, and then you have the recession, then you got Jimmy Carter, who's asked to come and pull us out of it. Uh, you know, that didn't work as far as many people were concerned. So they picked the, the actor, Ronald Reagan, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan, you know, slashes um, um, programs that benefit um, poor middle class people. I mean, he slashed it and it all did it all because um, the budget, because there was a budget crisis. You know, uh, and that was it. 81, 82, 83. You know, um, we took it on the we took it on the jaw really bad. Um, and then, you know, he gets reelected because um, of how we voting. You know, but you know, it's it's it, if you look at the chart and you see that. It's just been a, a, a decline in, in, in people actually voting. So when we ask why don't people vote in, you know, why do so few people vote in, in Louisiana, for instance, the truth is a lot of those people have never voted. A lot of those people vote occasionally or have voted sporadically. Um, and when we talk about a lot, you know, if 40% of the people or 50% of the people or more are not voting, 
obviously that's really significant. If you're winning a race, running in a race, and even 10% don't, or 5% don't don't vote, that's significant. So imagine, you know, just a position that to understand if you got a population that of 40%, 45, uh, 50% of people who are not voting. You know, and that's, you know, Texas, for a lot of different reasons, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi. Uh, you know, the reason, again, we're talking about 145 years of um, uh, of policies that were meant to rob people of their right to vote. Um, you know, and and so that's why we all should really sing, be singing Stacey Abrams' praises because that's what she was going up against. She had two years to undo 145 years. And if you consider what she did in her first run, she caught them off guard because, again, the arrogance of, of the right is that they didn't believe that people would take her seriously in the first election. But, but uh, Kemp did. That's why he took off the roads more than 100,000 people. You know, he understood. You know, that's why he refused to step down as Secretary of State. You know, those are the built-in impediments. You know, when we talk about institutional racism, there was nothing to stop, there was nothing to prevent Kemp from, from administering an election that he was in. Nothing. Systemic suppression. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so, you know, this is the issue. The issue, when we talk about racism, we're talking about suppression, right? We're talking about intimidation, as, 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 as Shauna was talking about earlier. We're talking about this layer, these layers of, 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 of tactics that keep us from fully, under, fully appreciating our citizenry, right? So if you're a Mississippian, which has the largest black population per capita in the country, right, um, they don't, you know, the significant number of them don't vote because what has it benefited them? Not the fact the fact that many of them don't vote, but what has it benefited from them? You know, Alabama, Georgia, when they realize that the the people who who are creating these impediments are, they know who these people are. They know this is a mean, you know, horrifically, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, you know, really horrible people. Who are trying to hold on to their, you know, trying to hold on to their privilege again, which is why, you know, I know it's not always popular to hear, but I don't, I just don't really, I, I, I don't see our issues as surrounding by party or political ideology because you notice in the last five years they switched that up whenever it works for them. You know, the Republican Party used to be the party of law enforcement for real, it used to be the party of fiscal responsibility for real. When? Right. So, you know, they switch it up when they're done. This is not about that. This is about privilege and white supremacy. And everybody in this room is affected by it, including white women. You know, so when we don't meet, when we don't reach the ideals that was written by our forebears who, you know, our forefathers who, of course, you know, we talked about this over and over again, who never considered, you know, women as equal partners, um, they saw, considered women as property and they considered men, you know, black folk as true property, you know. So so they really weren't talking about us. But the inspiration for what they were doing, or what they built, 
is the ideal that we've all been working towards. And I'll say it again, and I'll say it as long as, 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 as much as I think is necessary. And that is, there's nobody in this country more patriotic than black people. Nobody. I mean, black people believe in the ideals of this country. We understand it. I mean, it was black people. It was black people who challenged it through the courts. You had to believe that the courts were going to respond, and it did. When Thurgood Marshall and, and Constant Motley and, and, and Carter and all of them, you know, enact, when they try to make um, inroads into segregation, um, they did so by using the courts, a strategy built by Professor Houston out of Howard University, you know, and of course the NAACP. And so it's, again, suppression is so layered that we don't recognize the impediments when they're right there in front of us. And they've been with us forever. I mean, they've been with us since we uh, we stepped foot on this land, right? But certainly since 1870, when as when we receive full citizenship, but are denied the right to vote. So, this is the issue. The, the, these are the challenges that we're facing. And then, you know, um, you know, we have this glorious history. You know, because you know, and I'm, when I say history, I'm talking about American history. American Black history is American history. You know, we, you know, that's who we are. We have this glorious history that keeps. That, that hasn't been mined, you know, the gold there hasn't been mined because there are people who are frightened and intimidated by our very presence. In fact, they believe we're like them. They believe that we're going to get even with them someday. So that's why they're frightened. They think that the treatment of our ancestors, our forebears, and the treatment that remains today, you know, many of these people are frightened that, you know, we're going to turn the tables on them. That's why they resisted the reconstruction efforts right. so desperately. So desperately. So desperately. And, and that's why, you know, um, you see in, in more, much more uh, modern times, you see the pushback of the FOP. You know, you, the, you know, I mean, the obstruction to to reform and law enforcement uh, isn't Congress and, and, and the Senate. It's the FOP. It is the, you know, we, there have been attempts to address, you know, police brutality for decades, for decades in this country. But the FOP, you know, uh, Fraternal Order of Police, you know, it, you know, they're very conservative. And until in, in, in history, historical times, very recently, very, very white and male, you know, Push back against those things. That's why we don't have reform. You know, that's why it's so important to put legislative things in place. But you got to do it at the state level. You know, in New York, in New York City, uh, the, the the chief of police in New York City is um, really under the guidance of the governor as much, even as much more than the mayor. You know, so it's there's a bunch of things you know, that we need to be aware of. There are six states in this country who still have slavery doctrine on their docket. Six. Yeah, Tennessee was one, that was one of yes. the amendments on our yeah. ballot. Yeah, Tennessee, Louisiana, um, I believe Arkansas. Um, I can't remember all six guys. I can sometimes not remember how to spell my name. So, 
So, it's okay. We get a pass on some yeah. stuff, Khalil. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the reasons I love talk, being with you guys because y'all know who you're dealing with. Um, but, but it, again, these are the things. This is why we vote. We don't vote because just to vote. We vote because there's meaning and there's substance to our actions. And, and we have to continue to do that. This is why now we need to organize. We need to organize from the ground up. We don't have to reinvent the wheel here. You know, we, I was having a conversation earlier with, with some folks in the DM. We don't, you know, here in Maryland, we're celebrating, you know, obviously the, 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 the election of a black governor, you know, um, and a black, uh, you know, a black attorney general, um, uh, you know, uh, a, 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 a Indian American lieutenant governor. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're really celebrating something here. And that's because, and, and, and Tiff will tell you this, because we have an apparatus in place to do that. But the key now is to continue to grow that apparatus. And it grow wasn't that formed, yeah, and it wasn't formed overnight. It took time to well, build that apparatus. Well, listen, here's the deal. Maryland has had two Republican governors since 1972. And they and those two Republican governors have been in play. They just they were in play in 2004 and then again in 2008. 2016, excuse me, 16. Right. Only two Republican governors. And at one point, Democratic registrations were three to one here in Maryland. Now it's two to one. You know, so the deal is, is that this is. The world we're in, you know, what's trending is change, not blue and red. What's trending is change. And we need to be on the part on the side of what change is. So we need to be building, continue to build, you know, um, the infrastructure here. You know, the most powerful uh, black woman in this in this in this state is Adrian Jones. She's the head of the state legislature. You hear nothing about her. Because she just wields power, and she does so with an e enormous skill. She's—I I, just—I know her. I, you know, I've teased her, and I, some of my friends that she's like the uh, the equivalent to Nancy Pelosi in our local in in, in in Maryland in terms of how she gets things done. She put together two legislative sessions during COVID that have been extraordinary. You know, so. You know, um, in fact, she's gotten rid of one of the few states that's gotten rid of, or at least have undermined it, uh, um, police. Um, what's it called when police can't be sued? Uh, oh, um, the, um, what is that? Uh, protection. Oh, God, my, I got a brain freeze now. Come on, Mark, help us out here. Mark, the protection Shauna, that, yeah, the protection that Chief. police have. Yeah. Immunity, qualified immunity. Qualified immunity. immunity. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were all freezing. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> she, she undermined that two years ago, two sessions ago. So, you know, that was thought of impossible, frankly. But during the, 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 the George Floyd um, um, protest, she was able to take advantage of that moment. See, it's not, you know, it's not just about having it's not just about the timing, but it's about having the right people in the right place at the right time. So we need to be building our leaders. We, you know, we saw what's happening with young people, you know, rather than, you know, kind of pat them on top of the head and say, y'all did a good job. 
recognize that we actually have something to do with that. You know, Xers and so on, you know, their children have watched them go back and forth, go to the voting polls, debate issues and things. These kids know, these young people know how important it is. They didn't just show up on, on Tuesday. Well, they did, they were following the leads of people before them. And then they recognized the urgency of the moment because they also recognized that the environment, um, social justice, you know, those protests, those, those two years of protests um, were amazingly impactful on that generation. They were out there in the street. They were out there. They got a chance to actually have that experience. I think when I look at my own life, my life, a lot of who I am right now was shaped out there in the street in the 1960s with my mom. You know, I didn't always understand the issues, Not certainly not with any great sophistication, but I knew it was important. I knew it was important to my mom, and on a superficial level, I understood it. I understood justice and right and wrong, and that's what these young people were doing. Let's not discount that. There are involvement in that, as well as their, their growth and sophistication. You know, they have things I didn't have. I didn't have television. I have three television stations. I didn't have cable and all of that to, to tune in and find out the, the nuances of, of politics. I didn't have that. Or get to see what was happening all around the world all the time. You know, we were talking about Obama earlier. Obama changed his game in so many ways. Few people understand. He didn't just change the way we raise money in this country for campaigns. He, but that, what he did there was is still being felt, and it changed how all politicians operated after him. But what he also did was create a, a celebrity politician that, that never existed before. You all remember when he decided to run, what did he do? He traveled abroad, and he would, there would be thongs of people, hundreds of thousands of people would show up to see him. You know wherever he was, but he was a he was a celebrity of substance. He was also a sitting senator. You know all of those things had a lot to do with what how people saw him. So he's able. So in some ways, when we talk about suppression and voting suppression, what he was able to do to knock down walls, and he wasn't even here in this country knocking down walls because. Part of the reason why I think they dislike him so much was they envied what he was, what he was, even before he was, before before he became who he is. They envied that. I don't know about you, but I was watching the news then. Fox News was already on him. They were all over him. They did not. They was calling an apology tour. Anybody remember that? I sure do. And that's when I got so angry at them because it was yes. like, you guys don't understand what diplomacy and statesmanship is. They sure did. I remember. Oh, but they did know. But what they finally realized that he was a threat. But by that time, he had put an infrastructure in place that changed the game. And they were embarrassed when 300,000 people showed up in, 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 in London. You know, in excess of 300,000 showed up in, 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 in Berlin. And, and look what showed up when, you know, the former guy went. You know, you had the exactly. balloons. <laughs> exactly. You know, not the, and, and most of the folks there were protesting. You know, so, I mean, this is, this is, we're knocking walls down all the time. We talk about it. 
the largest black representation in history this country is currently serving. We've added to that, right? In fact, we're ushering in a new generation, not just on the national scene, but we see local on the local scene, new young blood coming into state legislatures. Can I stop you there, Khalil? Yes. Because mm -hmm. I am so glad that you said that because now this young man, I, his name escapes me right now. My brain is a little <laughs> tired, but I, what you said right there, uh, a young man uh, won his race here uh, for a state um, uh, house seat. And this young man um, follows in the footsteps, literally, of John Lewis and Mexico. his- Yes, yes. Um, because like I have been watching him because he was making local news a lot because he was getting arrested for being in the state house, you know, protesting mm -hmm. legislators or legislate, you know, legislation. And so he had been arrested 14 times and he won his seat and he walked in to get his parking um, spot and badge and all of that stuff and he walked in and I just loved it with the picture a poster of John Lewis and C.T. Vivian under his arm mm -hmm. good trouble so I wanted to throw that in there <laughs> that's really powerful I, I can't remember and someone here likely would um, remember the the young guy that long young the, the youngest congressional seat 25 year old out of Florida Yes, Anybody I remember. Any? Yeah, who knows yeah. his name? But I, I know who you're talking about. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm really not good, and I'm getting worse at, at remembering yeah. names. Well, he he posted a, a he posted a a um you know a tweet. I believe it was today with him with a picture of the at the state of the U.S. Capitol at night. You know, as if he was, he must have been taking a picture of it. You know, with his phone or whatever. And he says it's, start, it's starting to dawn on me, or something like that. That's what it, I, I saw that today because I started following him after he won because I didn't even know he was running prior to that. And see, and that's the other thing is that we need to broaden our understanding. And again, Tiff and and Shauna and and others have really helped us to do this to to broaden our understanding of you know our reach and our power, uh, our political. Um, uh, uh, reach over the, you know, just by telling us who is running who and who's running where. And what I always appreciated, but what Shauna was saying, you know, he may not have a chance or she may not have a chance, but we're going to highlight him anyway. That wasn't our job. Her job wasn't to do that. Her job was, was, was to bring those folks to our attention. And for, because that's again, I, I remind people, to me, it is not education is our problem is ignorance is our problem education is a solution so the more information people have the better decisions they make i learned that working with young people you know it's a, you know so we if we get that information out to them and we bring them all together like jonah did you know when we bring them all together on paper like tiff has you know when you highlight them like renee has you know, when you when you can tell us how it's working the way Geechee does, you know, when, when this is happening, what's happening is we're we're building uh, a momentum. We're building a superstructure, a building a, an infrastructure that we have never had really had before. You know, and that's and now it's time it's it's it's, it's time to really understand what that means. That means that we have to perpetuate it. We have to make it better, yet better.
We have to make it smarter. We have to make it flexible. We have to make it, again, you, uh, a Democrat vote running in Oklahoma is not going to be a Democrat vote running in New York City. So it's got to be flexible. It's got to recognize what it is. At the end of the day, we're all going to pull that same lever. The lever we're talking about is a lever for, for honest uh, democracy. That's what we're doing. And we, and, and again, all due respect to the, the folks in this room, respectfully, you know, black folk are the conscious of this country. Where we go, goes the country. You know, so I, I believe, you know, head of, the head of one major party is a black man. That's the, the, the second and third most powerful in Congress are two black men. One, one of them is positioned right now to become the next Speaker of the House. One of them, a black man, is positioned right now. Whether it happens or not is another issue, of course, but he's one of the favorites to become Speaker of the House. The House. We have a heartbeat from the presidency of black woman. We did. We is it is it is it? Do we believe we just stumbled here? You think that we got here the good graces of our oppressors, of our opposition? No, we got here on plan. We got here by creating paths for people like the vice president. You know, people. You know, fighting the battles for. Uh, 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 um, uh, I can't think of his name, uh, the brother out of New York that might be the next speaker. Uh, that's ridiculous. And I can see his face just so well. You know, but we created a path for him to get there. You know, we created a path, you know, uh, to, to, to really explore and, and respect, frankly, what, what Claiborne did, what he did with his life and how he turned that into a very successful and effective legislative legacy. He did that. And he didn't do it by himself. Right? So Shirley Chisholm to Jesse Jackson to Al Sharpton to Barack Obama. Not an accident, y'all. We worked our way here. So voter suppression is always something we have to deal with. It's been part of our lives since we've gotten here. Suppression, intimidation, has been part of our experience since we got here. That has not changed. But what we're saying is, it's not going to be. It's not going to stop us. That we're going to move forward regardless of that, and we're going to change minds. No, not because that's our goal. We're going to change minds because we are who we are, and and and, you know. What people, you know, I've worked with plenty of people who I suspect weren't crazy about me. I work with a lot of people who I wasn't crazy about, but didn't stop me from doing my job. Nor could, nor would I bet you if you go and survey any of my former colleagues, not one of them would tell you that they knew I didn't like them. If I gave you that list, they would have no, they had no idea. They had no idea because, again, one of the secrets to effective relationship, you know, frankly, to life is not let people know what's in your hand. Because if I know what's in your hand, Sharon, I know what I'm going to do. You know, if I know what's in your hand, then I'm going to keep pressing buttons until I get the button that's going to move you, push you, 
you know, get you in trouble, undermine you. I'm going to keep doing that. So, and if I work alongside you and I need something from you and I know you don't like me, every time I call you, you're going to be feeling some kind of way, as my mother used to say. So why put all that in play? I'm a professional. I'm going to show up and do my job. I'm going to encourage you to be professional. You may be petty as hell, but I'm going to show, I'm going to encourage you to be professional because I'm not going to react to you. I'm not going to show you my hand. I'm not going to do that. You know, this is just smart, strategic, chess playing life in politics. It really is. And our, our forebears did it. You know, you go back and listen to uh, Thurgood Marshall some of his interviews and stuff and, and recognize that girl. He was known for being a blunt man. He was known for that. But I can guarantee you, you listen to him tell you, there's a whole lot of stuff he kept to himself. You know, and we didn't get a chance to see. There's still videos that you can see with Dr. King, you know, without, excuse me, without the, uh, you know, without the, the glow around him, so to speak, you know, um, but unfortunately, they killed him so young that we we didn't really get a chance to to to, to really explore who he was um, beyond his his advocacy, and uh, that's why they killed our, our leaders as young as they did. That's part of their motivation. Malcolm X, you know, um, you know, I, it's just important for us to understand that this is all part of our experience, and everybody in this room, whether you're black or not, has a has, has, has a dog in this fight. You know, if we don't have, if we, don't, if this country doesn't reach its, old, its, its true ideals, where all men are created equal, right? If, that, if it doesn't do that, nobody will fully be, uh, will fully be able to explore freedom. None. So I am thankful. I am thankful for all that's transpired. I'm thankful for the energy that I've been feeling all day because I needed it and and some of my encounters with my colleagues today, you know, y'all had me laughing, um, you know, had me sneak, sneak tweeting um, throughout the day. Um, but what's great is that this community, this family, this collective is available. And the growth of it is just amazing when you think about, you know, now D has guests, guests, hosts. Come on now. We got guest hosts now. You know, that's how we're creating an institution here, right? You know, I was listening to Danny and, 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 and Dawn yesterday. They have now are going to do features. Come on, y'all. This is so cool. You know, I can't wait to see what Tiff is going to be doing once she gets her gets her energy back and, and or, or what Geechee is going to be doing and what Shauna is going to do. I can't wait. I can't wait. This is going to be absolutely amazing. As long as we understand that this is still a, 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 um, a, a, a work in progress, that we're going to have to be patient with each other. You know, in fact, if y'all don't, you know, we're going to be kind to each other too. That ain't a, you know, I know that that, you know, we like to do things, particularly there are some generations within this room who, who think it's all right to bear all your feelings all the time. That's cool, but that don't work with everybody. You know, all of us don't, you know, we don't want to hear everything about you. Like the, 
keep a little mystery. Some of us older folk do, you know, and, and I hope that doesn't wear on you all. But that's there's a reason, you know, it's not necessarily modesty. It's probably a little bit more about humility. You know, and, you know, I want to, you know, we can get along. We don't have to, people who don't disagree, we don't agree with. The people who disagree with us, we don't have, they don't have to be our enemy. They're our opposition. Being an enemy is a whole different matter. I've been there. I've been there. You know, that's a, it's a different kind of energy that you draw on when you see somebody as an enemy, as opposed to when you see somebody as a, as a, as an, as an opposition, as an opponent. Now, again, there may be some here who believe, well, that's exactly what we need to do. We need to see them as enemies. But you've never seen the blood. You've never seen the aftermath of that. You, or you may not have experienced it. That, so I'm just asking Khalil, you to understand that. It's interesting that you said that. Because so many of the things that you said, and I'm sorry to keep interrupting no, you. No, I'm but, but, but um the video that I put up in the Jumbotron, it's over way early. And thank you, uh, Dr. Marshall, for sharing that with me. And I watched it and it's with Dr. Bernice King, you know, and she speaks. And of course, you know, this is the the daughter of, um, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, um, very wise. Um, and um, she spoke about um the energy and that movement and and so many of the things and it's a wonderful interview and I would encourage you all to watch it but what she talked about when that movement began yes we were fighting white supremacy okay but we didn't have to hate white people that was not you know the goal it was for us to get um the rights and things that she she phrased it just so much more beautifully, but uh, what what you just said there is what came to my mind because she spoke about the energy um, that is involved in in your mindset in the fight. So that's why I wanted to interrupt you. And well, I, I I appreciate that because I you know I've been on that other side where you know where I've allowed hate to really um, manifest itself in me in a way that frankly, had, it was not really for, not really for a situation. You guys would never have met me, you know, and I'm fortunate to have not just survived that, but to have grown out of it, to recognize what it was doing to me. And, um, you know, really. Uh, so I, I, I understand hate, at least for me. And I'm not willing to entertain it because I know what it's what it's capable of. So I so I you know I we got oppositions. I mean there are reporters and 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 um, you know advocates and things like that, or people like that whom we don't always agree with and who we think may be not working in our best interests or got some other agenda and stuff like that. You know we we need to spy who they are and then and then respond accordingly. We need to recognize who our allies are. We need to also nurture our allies. We need to work with our allies, same way we do, you know, just as we should, and we don't do it enough, that we nurture our teams, nurture our, our community. A lot of times we just look at each other and say, well, you're supposed to do that. Yeah, he's supposed to do it, but he's doing it now. He should get credit. She should get, get, get acknowledgement for what she's doing and what he's not doing, what they are doing. Whether they're supposed to do it or not, it's secondary to being complimented for you know, 
for doing something that may not any longer be a common act of kind of kindness and so on. You know, kindness ain't it ain't normal. It ain't it's common as it used to be. So I'm just thankful for you all. I'm thankful for being able to come here and listen to what you all deposit here and be able to use that. You know, I tell you all all the time I use your information in my classes, you know, all the time. Um, I, you know, and then again, I, I do my research. I trust you all, but I verify, you know. Um, as you should. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to just go with it, but. But I do appreciate it, and I want us to be patient with each other as we try to grow here. You know, there are some things we just may not, there's some things that we're ready to do right now, and there's some things we just may not be collectively ready to do because we're still building. In fact, there are times when I'm not sure we know what we're doing, you know, that what, what, what our goals and objectives are here. That doesn't mean we, ain't been, we haven't been effective, but I think there are different agendas I think one, sometimes one gender leads and other times another gender leads. The good news is that we're always doing something. Um, but collectively, you know, if we're going to talk about doing things collectively, we're going to have to be patient and, 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 and with each other and work with each other and learn from each other. Now, here's the deal. If I disagree with something you come with, I'm going to push back. I'm supposed to. Don't be offended if I push back. However, once we make a decision, once we decide what we're going to do, I'm going to be 100 percent behind it. That's who I am. You're never going. I'm never going to go into a meeting or class and go, well, yeah, well, yeah, I know it ain't right, but this is what D wants us to do. I don't do that. No. Once we make a decision, once we've hashed it out, I'm going to get 100 percent behind it. I do that. You know, I just want you to tell me you know, explain to me why we chose to do that. And, and if I get outvoted, you know, I don't care how strongly I feel about it. I'm going to get behind the decisions that's made because I know that that will handicap. And if I go into something half-heartedly, that's going to handicap any progress we could possibly make. So there's a lot here to understand. When we talk about building something, building a community, we've been doing it with all due respect to everyone in this room. We've been doing it somewhat superficially up to this point. But now y'all are talking about doing some other things that require not just a greater sophistication, but a greater discipline and a greater commitment. And if you do that, the, the, we're going to be the country's going to be better for sure. But just recognize what you're getting into. That's what I want us to do. And, and, and sometimes it may take you a little while to do that. So be patient with each other, please. You know, let's let's be you know, kind to each other and, 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 and recognize we are, you know, just because I, I'm pushing something, a particular agenda, that'll make me anti, you know, anti-democracy first. It just means I want to get it out there. Now, if you push back, you know, and I um, continue to struggle with it, then we got a choice to make. I got a choice to make whether I want to continue and you got a choice to make whether you want to continue with me, you know? You know, this just we get to an impasse. It's just work. That's what grownups do. They figure out what the next move is going to be. They work it out. Anybody who's been married knows what I'm talking about. Or any kind of any kind of significant relationship. You know, you don't get you don't always get your way. You know, so thank you all for being here, for creating this. I can't wait to see what you guys are going to do moving forward. Um, as soon as I get unleashed from my 
from the shackles of my work, I'm going to, um, you know, make some make a little bit of noise, you know, um, perhaps on this medium. I'm not entirely sure, but I, I'm, you know, I'm I'm going to retire from a job, but I'm not going to retire from work. I'm going to be doing some work that I've been really wanting to do, and I won't have the political shackles that I have at this point, the social, that you know the. the the professional entanglements that I have that impede me. Um, and I've been waiting for this for a long time to be able to do some programming and things that I think would be helpful here in the DMV and, uh, and beyond. So, um, you know, keep me in your thoughts and, and, and prayers if you're so inclined and, and, and thank you all so much for being, for making my day to day better, but my, I can't believe I'm saying this, but my life better. Haven't met y'all. I'm a better person because of y'all. Thank you, T. Thank you, Eugene, for being the star, creating the North Star for our work here. Um, and, and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Well, we certainly appreciate you, and we will continue to tell you. Uh, I know um, it makes you blush sometimes, but, you know, we love you, and we love what you um, bring and contribute to this community, and we're excited um, to see you go into your retirement, and to we know that you're going to continue doing um you know, the work that you're passionate about, which is certainly, you know, the same kinds of things that we're doing here in this community. So we look forward to supporting you um, in those endeavors and hoping that you will keep us posted and, you know, bring us along with you. So um, I just want to take an opportunity to thank all of you guys for hanging out here um, with Eugene and I for so long today. And I promise you, you know, every Monday is not going to be <laughs> this long, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying something out. I appreciate you guys being patient with me and working with me um, to help me create that because, you know, like this, this space has, has kind of grown and evolved organically and it is still doing, you know, you know, we're still doing that. So I, again, want to thank all of the people who have contributed, who helped me out in the conversation and the topic that I wanted to focus on today, Khalil, Geechee, Dr. Marshall, Mark, and all of the others, uh, Donna, all of the others who, you know, chimed in and, um, you know, just enriched that conversation. And part of the reason that I felt like it was important for us to start here, because we know as Khalil, it was a beautiful wrap up. Um, this is something that is continuing and I wanted to lay down the history of it so that when we start talking about it going forward, we we have that that history and that understanding and we can, you know, kind of point back to it and everybody have that level of understanding. And again, some of the things that Khalil said, we're building a community here, we're bu building a grassroots movement, a movement for me. I mean, I don't care what you call it, but it's it's for democracy, like the civil rights movement. You know, it, this right now, it's democracy, which encompasses our civil rights, which we already fought for and won. And now people are trying to take it away and they're willing to throw away our democracy to do it. Um, so it is something that I'm very passionate about, which everyone comes to this space um, probably knows and has and if they didn't have, you know, quickly gather. And so I will continue, as I said, on Mondays 
having a focused topic. We won't take that long on it, but just to, to lay down some information and to kind of help keep um, weaving these threads and the things that we need to look at to help us to, um, you know, perfect our democracy. Because we did save it with this election. We did. And you guys did that. We did the work. And I know we're going to keep doing the work because we know that it is absolutely necessary. It's not a static thing, democracy. You know, it requires, you know, continual work and engagement. And I feel like that is what we're doing here. And I just wanted to also give you a heads up that next week, kind of tying into this, I'm going to be uh, kind of focusing on dark money. So start doing your research if you have anything to share and you'll be able to join in the conversation at that time. And of course, that ties in with Citizens United and um, um, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse's um, push, uh, his Disclosure Act. Uh, all of these things tie into our democracy and how it is being sub currently subverted, you know, and some of them are not new tactics. And we all need to have, you know, um, a good level of understanding so that we know and we can see, but also that so that we can go out and educate others and let them, you know, help them to understand. So some of that understanding perhaps will, you know, uh, move the apathy so people understand what's at stake and why. Uh, again, the basic mission and goal for me in this space is to uh, just foster and encourage uh, civic engagement, which requires you to be informed. And I appreciate you guys um, being here and taking part of it and making that happen because I'm always inspired uh, by you. And I want to give you um, kind of the rundown for the week of our special guest host tomorrow. It will be Soul Sister. Thank you. Um, on Wednesday, it will be Miss Martine. And on Thursday, it will be um, Shauna with um, somebody help me out. Um, Well, I'll I'll let you know. We'll let, but but Shauna will be there, and and there will be someone else there helping her. I can't believe how my brain is racing right now. But uh, and on Friday it will be in Gazi, and so what I want to say to you guys is that I read a set of rules um, of etiquette uh, every day. Okay, so just to Shauna. Okay, thank you. Uh, I read a set of um, rules of etiquette and, and the purpose and the mission of that space. And just because I'm not here, um, it doesn't change because the reason our conversations work is because we adhere to these standards. And I want to ask you to um, to continue keeping them and um, to be kind to the people who have volunteered to help keep, keep this conversation going. So you guys make my job a delight and, 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 you know, just a pleasure every day. And I know that you will do it for them. And I just want to thank all of them and thank you. And I'm going to leave you with these encouraging words from the late, great Representative John Lewis. Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. 
It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. So I just want to thank you guys for coming here every day, getting in good trouble with us. And I know that you're going to continue to do that. And I know that it's making a difference. So um, just um, keep doing the work um, and know that it makes a difference. Make noise, make trouble. And I, I just love the ripple effects of this um, collective you know, I see so many great things happening and please keep us informed of the things that you're doing, the spaces that you're holding um, so that we can support you and we can support one another. Uh, that's how we're going to move forward. So I just want to leave you guys with peace and blessings. Have a great evening.